lot of gold. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Ramble by the River. I'm your host, Jeff Nesbitt, and we've got a great show for you this week. Thank you for tuning in. It is Saturday, April 29th, Anno Domini 2023. And this is part two of Smashing Fears and Slinging Craft Beers. If you didn't catch part one, go on back and listen to that one. You can get that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this now. You can find that other one. And that would be episode 97. So this is episode 98. Getting awfully close to 100, guys. 100 episodes is a lot for me. I mean, probably for you too. I don't think you've probably made 100 podcasts. Feels good. I still haven't decided which one I'm going to use for episode 100. I think I'm going to let it be a surprise. Who the guest will be. So let's get into the show, huh? If you want to reach out on social media, you can find Ramble by the River at Ramble by the River on Facebook and Instagram and at Ramble River Pod on Twitter. You can also find me on TikTok at Jeff underscore Nesbitt 88. You can find the most recent episodes as well as links to our entire catalog at RambleByTheRiver.com. Want to do a shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you guys so much. You are some of the best people I know. I really appreciate your guys' support and I still haven't figured out how I'm going to resolve the Patreon issue. I, I don't think I'm going to reactivate the page. I think that you're done paying. I don't want to support Patreon anymore. I don't like them, but I'm not going to get into all that. So we'll just move on. So if you caught last week, you will already know that Eric Svensson is a delightful man. He's got a lot of cool quotes. He's a philosopher deep down, I think. He likes to talk about thoughts and feelings and existence. And that's that's my shit, you know? That's what I like to talk about. So we had a really good time talking and I split it into two episodes because it went pretty long. The second half, as you can imagine, is a little bit lighter, a little bit easier going, less nerves, less nerves. That's, that's what it is. And because of that, we talk about a little bit crazier stuff. We get into some Jeffrey Epstein stuff, huh? Ooh, Jeffrey Epstein. Intrigue. But yeah, we talk about a lot of stuff. Some highlights. Talk about religion. Talk about what makes good leadership. We talk about goal setting, taking risks. Some of the behind the scenes stuff about North Jetty Brewing. We talk about colleges and college rivalries. Creativity, self-judgment, managing ADHD. What the Nazis taught us about food and stress during World War II. How do we define morality? And why hip hop really speaks to the masses. We're gonna get right to that after news and current events. In Elon Musk related news, our first story comes to us from you today. Elon Musk's $1 million Dogecoin challenge backfires. Elon Musk's recent attempt to debunk a persistent rumor surrounding his family's alleged ownership of an emerald mine has backfired in a hilarious way. The controversial Tesla and SpaceX CEO recently took to Twitter to offer a 1 million Dogecoin reward to anyone who could provide evidence that the mine existed. The response he received was unexpected. His own father, Errol Musk, stepped forward to claim the prize, asserting that he could indeed prove the mine's existence. The controversy began with social media users debating the validity of the Emerald Mine claim, and Musk himself dismissing the rumors as annoying. However, in an exclusive interview with the US Sun, 
Musk's father revealed that it was his Emerald Mine venture that contributed to Elon's initial success in the United States. He also described his reaction to Elon's Dogecoin challenge, saying, When I read that, I wondered, can I enter? Because I can prove it existed. Elon's father went on to explain that all of the Musk children were aware of the Emerald Mine, and even his daughter possessed several Emerald pendants. The disclosure has sparked a flurry of reactions on Twitter, with users calling out Elon for spreading falsehoods and questioning his motives for offering the Dogecoin challenge in the first place. Musk's connection to the Emerald Mine traces back to his family's involvement in the mining industry in Zambia, a country in southern Africa in the late 1980s and early 1990s. His father co-owned an emerald mine in the mineral-rich region. Errol Musk, a successful engineer and entrepreneur, had various business ventures during this period, one of which was the Zambian emerald mine. The mine's profits reportedly played a significant role in supporting the Musk family's lifestyle, and by extension, Elon's early years. The emerald mine's existence has been a point of contention for years, with many arguing that it contributed to Elon Musk's privileged upbringing, which in turn facilitated his rise to prominence. Well, that's funny. Seems like old Elon's uh, arrogance got the better of him on that one. Or his dad's a dick and he just kind of stabbed him in the back and turned him in for being a liar. I don't know. In other Elon Musk related news, or at the very least, Elon Musk adjacent, this one comes to us from futurism.com. The article's entitled SpaceX is in big trouble with the FAA after Starship explosion by Victor Tangerman. Tangerman. Tangerman? Starship is officially grounded. Mishap investigation. SpaceX's explosive orbital test flight of its Starship spacecraft, the most powerful rocket ever built, left a huge mark on its surroundings, scouring a massive crater in the ground and sending particulate matter flying for miles, far beyond the expected debris field. Without any significant diversion measures in place, Starship's super heavy booster tore through the company's prepared concrete launch pad, kicking up heavy debris. The incident was so violent that it caught the attention of the Federal Aviation Administration, CNBC reports, which has grounded Starship until it can conclude its mishap investigation. Signs that SpaceX may have additional hurdles to overcome before it can try to get its Starship orbital again. Fortunately, there haven't been any reported injuries or damage to public property as of last week, but that wasn't exactly a guarantee. The massive explosion of dozens of Raptor engines igniting at once sent particulate matter hurling for several miles, raining down on Port Isabel, a city that's six miles from the launch pad. It was a powerful enough blast to even shatter windows in the city. Given the distances involved, particulates rained down far beyond the limits of the expected 700-acre or one-square-mile debris field caused by an anomaly, as outlined in the FAA's environmental assessment, which had concluded before SpaceX could get a launch license for last week's test. And that's not to mention the effects the powerful blast could have on endangered species that live in the area. The particulates could even pose a danger to human health. Environmental engineer Eric Rosich noting on his blog that the possibility of a widely dispersed plume of emissions was not disclosed by the FAA or SpaceX during the initial environmental permitting and approval process. Where that leaves SpaceX's opportunity to try again remains to be seen. The FAA told CNBC in a statement that it will first have to confirm that any system, process, or procedure related to the mishap does not affect public safety before Starship can fly again. SpaceX will also have to complete additional environmental mitigations before a second launch attempt, 
due to debris entering adjacent properties. In other words, it may take longer than the optimistic one to two months that SpaceX CEO Elon Musk estimated in a tweet following the last attempt. If you're not aware of what happened there, Elon Musk and his buddies over at SpaceX built the largest rocket that has ever existed. The thing was enormous. It looked like a skyscraper. And they launched it and it was so powerful that it just destroyed the launch pad and sent chunks of concrete flying miles and miles, which is kind of nuts if you think about it. That's a lot of force. And then the whole thing just fucking exploded in the air. It seemed like they were happy though. I don't, everyone was still cheering. I don't know. Maybe it was a success. I really don't think it was though. It seemed like it not. I don't know if they were just trying to prove that they could launch it or if they were trying to go somewhere, but that big thing just exploded. And finally, in more local news, if you're in Washington state, that is, which I am, from Fox News, NRA sues Democrat governor over Washington state's new blatantly unconstitutional gun ban. The NRA complaint was filed the same day Governor Jay Inslee signed a bill into law banning the sale of semi-automatic firearms. The NRA filed a lawsuit in Washington state following Democratic Governor Jay Inslee signing a sweeping gun package into law, which includes a ban on so-called assault weapons. Here's a quote from the Washington state director of the NRA. This new law is blatantly unconstitutional. The Supreme Court long ago ruled that states cannot ban firearms that are in common use. Inslee signed three gun control bills on Tuesday, including House Bill 1240, which took effect immediately in banning the sale and manufacture of 50 types of semi-automatic rifles, including AK-47s and AR-15s. No one needs an AR-15 to protect your family, Inslee said on Tuesday. You only need it to kill other families. What? The NRA's lobbying arm, NRA ILA, filed the suit Tuesday which specifically targets the ban in the Eastern District of Washington on behalf of individual plaintiffs and the National Shooting Sports Foundation. The suit names Washington Attorney General Bob Ferguson and Washington State Patrol Chief John R. Batiste as defendants. The NRA described House Bill 1240 as the worst of such schemes in the country that surpasses gun restrictions in California, citing how the law bans nearly every modern semi-automatic rifle that also extends to some semi-automatic handguns and shotguns. The NRA noted that semi-automatic firearms are owned by tens of millions of Americans for self-defense, hunting, and recreational purposes. Recently, SCOTUS bolstered that ruling in Nysbara vs. Bruin. AR-15-style firearms are the most popular rifles in America. In fact, AR-15s outsell America's most popular truck, Ford F-150. And there are more privately owned AR-15 style firearms than subscribers to all daily newspapers nationwide combined. Klein continued. Another bill signed by Inslee on Tuesday, Senate Bill 5078, gives the state attorney general and private parties the ability to sue gun manufacturers to recover damages over criminal misuse of firearms. The third bill, House Bill 1143, requires a 10-day waiting period and safety training for gun purchases. Both Inslee and the Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson pushed for the bill's passages, with Inslee saying Tuesday that the state is leading the country in so many ways, including on gun restrictions. I'm not sure any state has ever taken three steps on one day, Inslee said. These are three victories, not one. And it's clear why we need to take this action, Inslee argued before signing the bills into law. These are weapons of war. Assault weapons have no reason to exist other than mass murder. 
Their only purpose is to kill humans as rapidly as possible in large numbers. Klein challenged that by saying that instead of arresting, prosecuting, and punishing criminals, the governor is focusing on restricting the rights of law-abiding Americans who use these rifles for a variety of lawful purposes. It's outrageous that states continue to pass these unconstitutional bans. But rest assured, the NRA will continue to fight each one, said Klein, noting that the people of Washington deserve better. When approached for comment on the lawsuit, the governor's office told Fox News Digital that it anticipated legal challenges against the important and necessary law, and said the attorney general's office will do a great job of defending it. Unlike the NRA, Washingtonians want to be safe from weapons of war designed to eviscerate the human body. Inslee spokesman Mike Falk said, A spokesman for Washington State Patrol, whose chief was named as a defendant in the suit, told Fox News Digital that the job of the law enforcement agency is to enforce the laws enacted by state leaders. Our answer to questions about the laws of Washington are simple and consistent across all issues and matters of public debate, State Patrol spokesman Chris Loftus said. The job of Washington State Patrol is always to dutifully enforce the laws of the state as they are written by the legislator and signed into law by the governor. Questions of constitutionality are the domain of the judicial branch. Simply put, absent court orders to the contrary, we enforce the laws of Washington State. The gun package has been hit with another lawsuit from the Second Amendment Foundation, which argues lawmakers violated the Second Amendment with the ban on semi-automatic firearms. Wow, I did not realize that it was banning semi-automatics. That's terrible. That's most, I mean, that's a lot of guns. That's a lot of guns. I'm conflicted about the whole gun thing because I do love guns. But my wife's a teacher and my kids are in school, so I understand the fear that has just kind of been ingrained in us for the last couple decades now since Columbine. And it's not just that. I mean, there's gun violence everywhere. But I don't know. I don't want to spout off cliches about, you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people. All that stupid shit. I don't. I don't subscribe to that, but I do believe in just being rational, having common sense. I don't think most gun violence happens from AR-15s. I don't know. Let's look it up. Oh, well, how convenient. PewResearch.org just did a study about that exact thing. What the data says about gun deaths in the United States. Published April 26, 2023 by John Gramlich. More Americans died of gun-related injuries in 2021 than in any other year on record, according to the latest available statistics from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. That included the numbers of both gun murders and gun suicides. Despite the increase in such fatalities, the rate of gun deaths, a statistic that accounts for the nation's growing population, remained below the levels of earlier decades. Here's a closer look at gun deaths in the United States based on Pew Research Center's analysis of data from the CDC, the FBI, and other sources. So how many people die from gun-related injuries in the U.S. each year? In 2021, the most recent year for which data is available, 48,830 people died from gun-related injuries in the United States, according to the CDC. That figure includes gun murders and gun suicides, along with the less common types of gun-related deaths tracked by the CDC those that were accidental and those that involved law enforcement and those with circumstances which could not be determined. The total excludes deaths in which gunshot injuries played a contributing but not a principal role. And that's because the CDC fatality statistics are based on information contained in official death certificates, which identify only a single cause of death. So what share of US gun deaths are murders and what share are suicides? 
Suicides accounted for more than half of U.S. gun deaths in 2021, at 54%, 43% murder, and 3% other. Though they tend to get less public attention than gun-related murders, suicides have long accounted for the majority of U.S. gun deaths. In 2021, 54% of all gun-related deaths in the U.S. were suicides, at 26,328, while 43% were murders, with 20,958, according to the CDC. The remaining gun deaths that year were accidental, with 549, or they involved law enforcement, 537, or they had undetermined circumstances at 458. So what share of all murders and suicides in the United States involve a gun? About eight in 10 US murders in 2021, or 81% involved a firearm. That marked the highest percentage since at least 1968, the earliest year for which CDC has records online. More than half of all suicides in 2021 involved a gun 55%, the highest percentage since 2001. The U.S. saw record numbers of gun suicides and gun murders in 2021. How has the number of U.S. gun deaths changed over time? The record 48,830 total gun deaths in 2021 reflect a 23% increase since 2019, before the onset of the coronavirus pandemic. Gun murders in particular have climbed sharply during the pandemic, increasing 45% between 2019 and 2021, while the number of gun suicides rose 10% during that span. The overall increase in U.S. gun deaths since the beginning of the pandemic includes an especially stark rise in such fatalities among children and teens under the age of 18. Gun deaths among children and teens rose 50% in just two years, from 1,732 in 2019 to 2,590 in 2021. How has the rate of U.S. gun deaths changed over time? While 2021 saw the highest total number of gun deaths in the U.S., this statistic does not take into account the nation's growing population. On a per capita basis, there were about 14.6 gun deaths per 100,000 people in 2021, the highest rate since the early 90s, but still well below the peak of 16.3 gun deaths per 100,000 people in 1974. The gun murder rate in the United States remains below its peak level, despite rising sharply during the pandemic. There were 6.7 gun murders per 100,000 people in 2021, below the 7.2 recorded in 1974. The gun suicide rate, on the other hand, is now on par with its historical peak. There were 7.5 gun suicides per 100,000 people in 2021, statistically similar to the 7.7 measured in 1977. One caveat when considering the 1970s figures, in the CDC's database, gun murders and gun suicides between 68 and 78 are classified as those caused by firearms and explosives. In subsequent years, they are classified as deaths involving firearms only. Which states have the highest and lowest gun death rates in the United States? The rate of gun fatalities varies widely from state to state. In 2021, the states with the highest gun-related deaths, counting murders, suicides, and all other categories tracked by the CDC, Mississippi at 33.9 per 100,000 people, Louisiana at 29.1, New Mexico at 27.8, Alabama with 26.4 per 100,000, and Wyoming with 26.1 per 100,000 people. The states with the lowest gun death rate include Massachusetts at 3.4 deaths per 100,000 people, Hawaii at 4.8, New Jersey at 5.2, New York at 5.4, 
and Rhode Island with 5.6 deaths per 100,000 people. Here we go. So how does the gun death rate in the U.S. compare with other countries? The gun death rate in the United States is much higher than in most other nations, particularly in developed nations. But it's still far below the rates in several Latin American countries, according to the 2018 study of 195 countries and territories by researchers at the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington. The U.S. gun death rate was 10.6 per 100,000 people in 2016. That was far higher than in countries such as Canada, 2.1 per 100,000, and Australia, which was 1 per 100,000. The European nations such as France, 2.7 per 100,000, and Germany at 0.9 per 100,000. Spain at 0.6 per 100,000. But the rate in the U.S. was much lower than El Salvador, which is 39 people per 100,000, and Venezuela, which is 38.7, Guatemala at 32.3, and Colombia at 25.9 people per 100,000, the study found. Overall, the U.S. ranked 20th in its gun fatality rate that year. How many people are killed in mass shootings in the U.S. every year? This is a difficult question to answer because there is no single agreed-upon definition of the term mass shooting. Definitions can vary depending on factors including the number of victims and the circumstances of the shooting. The FBI collects data on active shooter incidents, which it defines as one or more individuals actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a populated area. Using the FBI's definition, 103 people, excluding the shooters, died in such incidents in 2021. The Gun Violence Archive, an online database of gun violence incidents in the United States, defines mass shootings as incidents which four or more people are shot, even if no one was killed. Again, excluding the shooters. Using this definition, 706 people died in these incidents in 2021. Regardless of the definition being used, fatalities and mass shooting incidents in the U.S. account for a small fraction of all gun murders that occur nationwide every year. The same definitional issue that makes it challenging to calculate mass shooting fatalities comes into play when trying to determine the frequency of U.S. mass shootings over time. The unpredictability of these incidents also complicates matters, as Rand Corp noted in a research brief. Chance variability in the actual number of mass shooting incidents makes it challenging to discern a clear trend and trend estimates will be sensitive to outliers and to the time frame chosen for analysis. Okay, here we go. Here's the part we care about. Which types of firearms are most commonly used in gun murders in the United States? In 2020, handguns were involved in 59% of the 13,620 U.S. gun murders and non-negligent manslaughter for which the data is available. Rifles, the category that includes guns sometimes referred to as assault weapons, were involved in only 3% of firearm murders. Shotguns were also involved in 1%. The remainder of gun homicides and non-negligent manslaughters, 36%, involved other kinds of firearms or those classified as type not stated. It's important to note that the FBI statistics do not capture the details of all gun murders in the U.S. each year. The FBI's data is based on information voluntarily submitted by police departments around the country. And not all agencies participate or provide complete information each year. Okay, so what did we learn? I think we learned that handguns are killing almost 60% of people in gun-related deaths. Handguns, pistols, guns that are generally meant for protection. I don't know, but that's, this is weird. It's scary, and I hope it, I hope it turns out okay. Moving on. 
Coming right up, we have the second half of the interview with Eric Svensson, owner and operator of North Jetty Brewing. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Ramble by the River is brought to you by Ford Electric, 360-642-2137. Serving Southwest Washington since 1944, Ford Electric is the local standard for quality electrical work and outstanding customer service. Call 360-642-2137 to schedule your electrical service today. I can tell you from personal experience, I know the guys who work for this company, I know the guys who own this company, and they are top of the line, cream of the crop, human beings. If you call them and schedule something, you're going to get the best service available, and that's just a given. So don't make the mistake of going with somebody else. Call Ford Electric today for your electrical service in Southwest Washington. One more time, that's 360-642-2137 for Ford Electric. Without further ado, this is the second half of the interview. My guest today is a brewer. He's a former CPA. He's an amateur philosopher. He's a daily walker. And he spells his name Eric with a K. Please give it up for the one, the only, Eric Svensson. Well, you know, it's that whole idea. It's that the one thing that I've really tried to remove from myself is that that FOMO, that fear of missing out. So now I really try to cultivate this not caring about what I miss out on. I think about that so much. The which? Of the missing out of, on things or not? Yeah, I think about fear of missing out. People talk about that like, oh, I'm gonna, I can't go to the party and I'm going to miss out. I don't give a fuck about your party. Yeah, same. I have it on an existential quantum level. Yeah. Like I know how finite my material existence is. That's good. And I am like semi-bummed that I only get one that yeah. I know of for sure. sure. I know for sure I have this one. Absolutely. I could have infinite number of them. I could have, they could all be different. I could have this one a bunch of times. Who knows? I could have just one and then it'd be done. Who yeah, knows? Do you, do you have know. a favorite theory? No, that's the thing that bums me out is I grew, <laughs> I grew up in a, in a situation that was very dogmatic. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, this is black and white, easy answer. Boom. Sure. Whatever it says in the Bible is correct. And it's, and you know, it's take it literal. Um, yeah. And then, unless you don't want to, and, so then, the, and then don't, but don't, but don't worry about that too much. The received word. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, it was just whatever that <laughs> pastor said. And it just always seemed like a chain of other people's opinions. Yeah. And why can't I just look into it myself? And, and then, especially on something that's a spiritual matter. And then I realized like, oh, there's somebody who monopolized spirituality a long time ago. Yeah. And that then 
whoever taught me about this stuff was somebody who was taught by somebody else who was taught by somebody else down a long chain that started with something very violent and ugly. Right. I was like, oh, right. damn. Well, that's kind of shitty. Well, and that's, you know, and that, then that is the, you know, that's the positive mark for virtue ethics is that then it doesn't matter. You know, I have, people ask me sometimes, well, you know, is Washed there- Washed by the blood. Yeah, yeah. You I know, mean, you know, washed it, clean by the is blood. there, was it the big, you know, was the, the big bang, the uncaused event? Was there a, an event before that? Was there a, an uncaused event that caused the big bang? It's like, you know, I don't know. And probably it doesn't matter. That's a blank space in my philosophy. Yeah. Well, because it, we're inside the system. So you can't. Exactly. You can't see what's on the other side. But, I but know it's what fun I can to think do. about just. Oh, it is fun. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting to think about, you know, and, and the different, yeah, you know, the different metaphysics, the different ideas people come up with, but. But what I know, similar to what you said, was what I can do is I can I can try to give my grandkids the best life I can give them right now. I can try to support Michelle and her endeavors because she's the one out there doing stuff right now. I'm kind of yeah, sort of a uh, what am I doing? Uh, sort of uh, reclining on my laurels, I suppose. <laughs> I'm kinda, I'm you have of, people working for I, you. Yeah, I've kind of well, and, just and I, you know, like, I, I'm doing the management sub, now these days. I'm doing the substitute teaching. I'm, oh I'm yeah, kinda, I'm doing the brewery. That I, sounds really hard. Uh, that sounds like a lot of work, actually. You know, doing it, those two it things, is, but it's fun. It's it's fun. It, it fills up my days. But I mean, I, I guess I'm not starting a new business. I'm not yeah. starting a new endeavor. You're just so used to just working so hard that you're exhausted. No. That's the thing is I'm not that tough. I could do, you just like your life. I do something. That's, that's, I'm just digging where I'm at. Yeah I, yeah, I enjoy being able to go on two hour walks and like, you know. Do you, do you uh, feel like you almost have to feel guilty because you like your life? Well, I've really tried and that, you're absolutely right. And I've tried to, and I've tried to get away from that. I've tried to just say, hey, you know, this is, this is where I'm at. And this is, you know, I, I can go take these walks and I'm just, I'm going to feel good about it. And, and, and that's part of, I think that comes from coming up in those accounting firms where unless yeah. you're billing hours is what justifies your existence, you know, kind yeah, of thing. It's a culture. Oh, it's absolutely a culture. Yeah. It's and, and it's, yeah. and it's not necessarily a bad one or a good one. It can be either way. No, it's like anything else. I mean, objectively good or bad, it kind of depends on how you use it. You yeah. know, it's, that's any, I mean, but as far as anything. just living a life where you're genuinely happy because you're doing what you wanted to do, right. want to do, you're not hurting anybody. You're maybe doing some good in the world. Just living a life that's like, a human existence that you can be proud of. There is some level of guilt that comes with that uh, when you are in a community that where everyone sees everything you do and yeah. there happens to be a lot of people who are in poverty or miserable on some level. Yeah. It like kind of, it feels weird. And I can, I, that I, I, I came from ocean park and, you know, I was, I wasn't the poorest, but uh, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of money. Yeah. And um, just having, a normal job where I have my own shit and, and I'm not like struggling on a daily basis. And I yeah. see, I see people who are, I feel a pain in my stomach and I feel, it feels like guilt. Yeah. I didn't do anything to those people. No. And, um, no. like it almost feels like you, you're not allowed to talk about being happy and healthy, uh, in a place where people are, uh, not all happy and healthy. Yeah. You ever feel that? You know, I, I, I could see that. I could see it. You know, for me, it's, it's, it's probably, for me, it's probably more that I I feel like I should be there if my guys are there working. If my you know if my people up front, if, if it's my guys, my team, the people that work for North Jetty Brewing is they're there working, and I always kind of have that feeling like, well, I should be there working too. Or you you ever think they're thinking that? Yeah, yeah. And so I think, well, well, gosh, you know, Eric, you know, he's off screwing off. He's off. Because you doing, remember being them. Yeah. 
you know, and then at the same time though, it's just that you have to, uh, you have to get over that. Exactly. And you have to say, I'm going to, I'm going to live my life and some people may not like it and some people will, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's and that's just kind of I think that's part of that's, that's part of, the mastery part, of success. It's part of growing up. Yeah, exactly. It's getting comfortable with yourself. It's getting comfortable with understanding who you are. It's it's knowing yourself. Like myself, I know that I've always been fairly thin skinned. You know, I, I get offended easily. So a lot of the things I've worked on is caring less what people think and, and, and trying, you know, not be so ready to take offense and to to hate someone and those kind of things. And mm-hmm. I backslide. I've lived my life as a fairly intense person. That's a great intention to hold, though. Try. That's that's what that's what it means to have principle. Is just like you're never going to be perfect, but mm. if you know what you're shooting for, you can at least know where you stand and like know when you're messing up. Right. And I don't want to just be the quote guy, but I love quotes. And Epic, yeah, give me one. Epictetus says, "You can't. I can't." Epictetus was a Stoic philosopher, a Greek Stoic philosopher. He was a slave, actually, who bought his freedom. And uh, he said, I might not be able to be a Socrates, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to try to be like Socrates. It's beautiful. You know, you, you could just because you're, you're going to, you know, you're not going to, you're going to, just because you're not going to hit the mark doesn't mean you don't try. You don't climb the mountain. You don't do the things. Oh my Release God. Release the that, arrow. That quote is the only thing I want to teach my children. Yeah. Is like, just try to do something. Yeah. That's because it. even it's that whole idea, you know, shoot, you only know, end up among the stars if you shoot for the moon. You can say it a million different ways, but it's true. It's like you have to live your life, and and it's a Buddhist idea with, with uh, what, what do they call it, um, a loose grip. It's a loose grip. Yeah, it's 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 living with the, uh, and I can't remember the exact word. It's virtuosity, but it's living with sort of effortless virtuosity. It's is it Dharma? No, it wasn't Dharma. May, well, maybe it was. I, I, I don't do. I haven't followed tons of Eastern religion, but I, I, I've started kind of dipping my toe in because I, I look. It might at, be Dharma. So it's this idea, though, of like that. Hold on loosely. It's that that just kind of hold doing things loosely. when they make sense, you know, and not forcing things, and you just kind of go. trying to do the stuff. Yeah, exactly. And you know, sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it doesn't, you know, you have to be good at forgiving yourself and recognizing. That's more that holding on loosely. Yeah. You're not trying to force it. Yeah. Reality to be something that it's not. And that, and that's the big thing. And that's, it's that, that's living fatalistically. It's not resigning yourself to the way things is. It's just saying, you know, if I can convince myself that I want things to be the way they are, I'll probably be happier. Yeah. We, you know? well, we, we acknowledge the power that we have to change the present and the cool future. But yeah. At the same time, it's not that yet. We got to be at least happy with what we got. Well, and it's doing what you can. You know, it's the, it's this idea of, you know, I, I, you know, like you say, there's a there's a lot of downsides in the world sometimes. You know, and, and it's tough not to get down every once in a while. But, you know, for me, I can make sure that treat, people try to have a good time at North Jetty. To the best and we of do. My ability. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad people do. Your beer is good too. Thank you. I'm I'm really happy with where our beer is right now. I um, I give a shout out to our head tit- our head brewer Titus and our uh, our assistant brewer Casey. Um, nice they, job, guys. They do a fantastic job. They it's do a really great job. Very good beer. And uh, you know, all everybody in the front, the tap room, Trisha and Natalie and Taylor. Dude, man, you probably went to school with Trisha. Trisha, what year? Agnich. Oh, Agnich. Trisha Agnich. Yeah, I remember her. Yeah, she's our manager. Um, 
And then our daughter Taylor works for us up front. She, good to she hear does about such that. a good She's job. She's doing well? She does such a good job. Oh, such I bet. A good job. We are, yeah, we're really happy with our team right now. They do they do fantastic. That's good and, to hear. and uh we're doing a uh, we're kind of really starting to get going on this bottle condition series. We did our first stout. We have a Flanders Red coming out, and then we're doing another stout. So bottle condition is rather than forced carbonating, we're actually putting yeast into the bottles and letting them then be naturally each carbonated. single bottle each single bottle yeah Ooh. yeah uh and really limited this first one that we did we did uh four cases of it i think 48 750 liter bottles um and uh we sold out that i think they're gone in a day or two that's pretty limited edition real limited real limited we just uh you know you put them out and say hey they're for sale and try to put it on social media i think we sent one case down to bridge and tunnel in astoria um that's like such a cowboy lifestyle. Yeah. Just creating something that you're proud of. That's like, I mean, that's an art, that's an artistry. Yeah. Creating something that you're proud of and then hoping the world wants it. And then you, like you take the risk and then they yeah. just gobble it up. I mean, that's the craft, you know, that's, that's it's the a beautiful thing. That's the craft is you say, Hey, we're going to do this and it may work and it may not. And you know, you always have to, you always have to keep in mind what the, what, what's the, if everything just goes to hell, what, what's it going to cost you? What's the worst that you're out of? Everything falls apart. What's the worst case scenario? And, you know, and I'm, and I always, I, I factor that in. I look at it and I run it past my business partner, Michelle. She's the president of North Jetty. She has a certain amount of veto power on things. It's good to have a level head yeah. to help you out. And, and Michelle and I are very much like that kind of rocky idea of, you know, we have parts and we, we kind of fill the parts that are missing in the other person. She brings a lot of humanity to me. Um, but, She's also a very she's also a very systems thinker. I'm a um I'm more of a linear thinker and she's more of a well I'm I'm kind of 50,000 foot I guess. I kind of go back and forth, but it's just I run it by her and we say, "Hey, look, we're going to try this and it may work out, may fall on our face, may work out great, maybe." And you know, and, and typically it's usually somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, it goes well, maybe not as great as you think, but I think that these bottles that we made, they really this first batch really turned out well. And I, I give big props to our brew staff for doing the research to figure out how to, you know, because, you know, typically when you're brewing, you're going to, I don't want to get too wonky here, but. I'll go for it. You know, when, when you're, especially when you're home brewing and you're bottling a lot of beer, is you're taking it straight out of the fermentation carboy, maybe after a diacetyl rest, and you're putting it into the bottles and you're just putting in some priming sugar because you already have yeast in solution, right? You already have the yeast in the beer, and you're not trying to. What you mean? I mean these these bean boozled pepper beans. They're like a prank bean, but I kind of like them. They hot? Yeah. There's a scale on the front. Oh, oh, there's different ones. Mm -hmm. All right. So you I've know, I've had everything but the but the whatever the ghost pepper. What's the last one? Ghost. The I haven't had the hottest one, but the rest are the jalapenos. Fucking delicious. Is the how's the habanero? Delicious. Is it hot? Also. Are they yeah. actually really they're, hot? They're pretty hot. I like a spice, um, but I really like the pepper flavor. Good chili flavor. I mean, it's a Jelly Belly. They're a classic. Yeah, yeah. They've been doing it. I'm gonna start better than anybody else as long like as I can remember. So the uh, yeah, Jelly Bellies. They've been around a while. Woo! That's a hot one though. <laughs> oh, uh, I got a sriracha, and I thought it'd be mild because it's like low on the scale. But that's pretty good. I don't know how many Scovilles that is, but it's, that's hot. Jalapeno is my favorite. That's good. Tastes like jalapeno. Tastes like Tim's Cascade chips. It's got some heat though. Yeah. Um. So anyway, yeah, we um. We uh. I'll try a habanero maybe when we're done. Yeah. I won't be able to talk. Um. And so 
the yeast is already in there, so you just have to add priming sugar, right? It's going to give me the hiccups. I can feel it already. And so... Oh, when, I like it. And when the... It's my um, diaphragm quivering. Mm-hmm. And when the... Uh, so then we have to actually put yeast into it. So there's a little more calculations and stuff to do to kind of get this going into these 750s. And they did a, they did a great job. Did you talk to the yeast? Sorry to interrupt you. Oh, no, no, it's fine. Uh, I, I don't. Does anybody? Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I hope so. Do you think it gets lonely? It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a live, right? Well, I mean, it's got a couple billion of its friends around it. Yeah, they don't want any part of our human bullshit. No, no. You, I mean, the yeast, I don't know if they're like the Borg or if they're all individual sort of in, entities, but... Um, our own our own bodies. Like, yeah. we're, we're more bacteria than we are men. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. You know, we just kind of have this uh, rational function riding herd over everything. Barely. We're just a giant, uh, I don't know, one big system, really. Yeah, We're, just, we're one fractal version of the, the larger whole. Mm-hmm. It just spirals out from here. But uh, yeah, you know, the Titus goes in and counts them, you know, so we check how many are alive and how many are dead, you know, and and, uh, and those kind of things. So we definitely pay them a little attention. But how we, does he check? Uh, microscope, you know, we, he's got grid slides. Um, and, do you do a smell test? Uh, on yeast? Yeah. I mean, you know, pretty much everything, it's going to be sight, it's going to be smell, it's going to be taste, it's going to be all that. Not so much with yeast, maybe taste, but you do, you could taste the slurry and see how it's tasting. Um, but you know, did methylene blue and all that. And then you go through and you count the lives, one of the dead ones and you do a calculation. It tells you based on methylene blue. Is that a stain? Yeah. It stains the, so if they're dead, they absorb the blue. If they're alive, they absorb the blue and kick it back out. So they're not going to, the, the blue ones are dead. So you count the blue ones. And then that tells you kind of like it, but versus the live ones, then you can calculate how many live cells you have in this big slurry that you're dumping in and based on the beer you know and the size we kind of know how many yeast cells we want going into it you want a few dead ones in there or no dead ones aren't bad because uh i mean they're not going to do you a ton of good but if you uh uh if they're breaking down because when they auto that's you know when they when they start breaking down when they autolyze they uh they can release some bad uh chemical compounds some anaerobic stuff yeah kind of some funky you know dead yeast stuff some that metabolite nastiness yeah yeah stuff you don't want it tastes like vegemite you know mm, i've never had vegemite I don't have vegemite never been to australia yeah it's you know it's the same thing as they have it in uh in england too the brewer's yeast i don't remember marmite i think they call it over there what is it it's dead brewer's yeast oh that well, that they, sounds that they make a paste out of and they season and they put it on bread. Oh, that doesn't sound too bad. Well, I mean- it, I did it, my 23 Me, and that's my people. And yeah. It couldn't be awful. I mean, it depends on, uh, you know, I mean, it depends on where your head's at. I mean, yeah. looking at your shirt, it might be your people too. Where are you from? I, uh, Portland. Where is your <laughs> genetic lineage? Like, oh, uh, go back yeah. to as far as you know. Yeah, so I, 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 did, the, I did the thing. So my last name's Svensson. Uh, you know, in my in my family's heritage has always been uh, uh, Denmark has always been kind of the story. Uh, but you know, when I do when I do mine, it's uh, it's Denmark, Sweden, Britain, uh, Ireland. Nice, you got a nice variation, oh, yeah. nice yeah. mix. Yeah, that kind of thing. And then and then I do have some uh, Hungarian, I believe it's uh, Eastern European, um, and then um, some uh, early early East Coast settlers like Mayflower too. Man, you must have like no chronic disease, huh? Or I'm sorry if you do, but I j- I've gout. 
Oh, gout? Not, is that a chronic disease? I don't know. That's more like a, Isn't drinking, a too much pork? drinking and eating too much beef kind of thing. Yeah, no, uh, no you know, I don't. I, Genetic I, variation is great. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't, you know, and uh, I've always, uh, and all my, you know, all my heritage is fairly cold, cold weather sort of, you know, you know, people and all that. Robust people. Yeah, we're a dense people. I can't swim. I take a full breath and lay on the bottom of the pool. Me too, man. I I, I mean, I can swim. I shouldn't say that because everyone I know will jump all over it. Be like, I told you I couldn't swim. But no, I can swim. I just, uh, it's really hard. And I I, also, I sink, quickly, I'll just tell a quick story. I used to cheat on my swim test when I was a rower. They make you do a swim test where you have to tread water for 10 minutes. You don't have a life jacket. No life jackets. I mean, they sprinkle a few out in the crowd just in case someone's drowning. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't going to do that bullshit. I'd rather drown than sure. be seen doing that. Yeah, it's like having an umbrella. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, all my friends, I mean, it's rowing. It's like, yeah. it's very miserable. It's like, who's the strongest? Who's the fastest? Well, and you're from the beach, right? I'm Exactly. I'm yeah. just not, It's we're a wet people. Right. I, I should right. be able to do it, but swimming's real hard for me. Because I'm dense and I just sink right down, but our dock was chained to the ground and I found the chains and <laughs> I just stood on the chains and, you know, you go. Act. everyone else is like talking to each other. If if I was to do that, I would be like drowning. Yeah. I did a sprint triathlon once and I, uh, I almost drowned in the Deschutes River. And I remember, if, you know, when they, when they first started doing the fire, the, the little triathlon down here at Black Lake. Oh yeah. 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 I don't know which direction. The Firecracker 5k. Yeah. And I, uh. And I did Is that, that. right? I don't know. Uh, the 5K was different. That was just the 5K run. They did like a little sprint triathlon where it was like swimming Black Lake and then it was- Oh, yeah, Then yeah, it was yeah. a run and then it was bike kind of the path and back. And I did the, like the run, bike, run because I can't swim. Another yeah. thing people weren't doing before you guys were around. Swimming, <laughs> swimming in, Black, in Black, Lake. Black Lake? No. I've never seen anyone swim in that lake. I was, I kayaked out there once and I was kind of drifting through the weeds and I saw a carp in there. I swear it was like- no shit. There was a massive fish in there, and it looked like a carp, like someone had dumped a koi or something. Oh, I hope there. it wasn't a carp. Oh, it was. It was. I work on that lake. I killed big. all those weeds you're about to talk about. It was big. Oh, I'm sorry. Go. This ahead. was a long time ago. This is this is ten years ago. Mm-hmm. I killed those weeds. So I'm sure. I'm sure they've been jeffed. Oh yeah, by now. <laughs> by now, several times. That's funny. And I did it perfectly appropriately, you know. Grab another beer and safely, but. Black Lake is always going to have Brazilian Elodia and Eurasian water milfoil. But now it can have swans because I got rid of that shit. Do we have swans out here? Hell yeah. Really? The white ones? The giant, big, Those regal ones. trumpeter? Um, I don't hear them trumpeting, but I'm driving by. You know, I'm blasting Frank Ocean. Who knows? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I've never seen a swan out here. Yeah, drive by Black Lake regularly and you'll see them maybe, a, I don't know, two weeks a year. Huh. Interesting. And not even every year. I think they were gone for quite a while because that lake was looking awful for, you know, several years. Yeah, I- Before um, somebody fixed it. I always tell people it's rare I go south of my house or north of the bank during the- Oh, you're in a little little bubble. Yeah, I, you know, especially during the- Does it make you feel good to be in the bubble? Like like when you leave the bubble, does it feel bad um, if, you, if you don't really feel like-, like I don't know. I'm just trying to think if I'm strange or if, because I fucking love driving around. Oh, I like driving around. Okay, yeah. yeah. No, I drive around, you know, and, you know, kind of try to say hi to people, you know, and then I walk around that kind of thing. No, I, I, I go up and I, you know, I kind of make my rounds, stuff like that. More it's just the, it's just traffic, you know, driving through town and those kind of things. Traffic? Around here, you're dealing with traffic. 
Well, I mean, you know, it's a sliding scale. <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's like, if I got to wait seven cars to turn left, I'm like, ah, it's Oh, you're talking about rod run traffic. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, no, it's not bad. But you know, when you're sometimes when you're trying to turn left out on one one. Oh no, you're totally right. When it is bad, it is yeah. so Memorial Day weekend. You know, and then and then the tourists figure out the back roads, and then everything falls apart. Well, they have ways. The yeah. the app. Oh yeah, that sends them on the back roads. Well, I tell you, the worst is I don't want to crap on tourists, but the worst is Memorial Day, man, because the 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 uh, what do they call the garage sales, right? People just see them and they slam on the brakes and turn left and turn right. And yeah. it's just, they're looking for the sales. And, oh my God, it's dangerous. There's very little good about garage sales. I, I yeah. tend to feel a deep hatred for them, but it's for several reasons. And I do see that they're, you know, people love them. Oh yeah. And you know, you know, you got to get rid of your stuff. I, I'm going to have one myself someday. Well, it's tough because, you know, you have all this stuff, you don't just want to throw it away, you know, yeah. but like it, it's- Do you all... ever go yard sailing? You ever love somebody who loves to yard sale? My wife likes yard sailing. I go. I'm so sorry. I will. I'll walk to the neighbors. You know, we have a we live you know right in the middle of Seaview, so it's like garage sale central. That's so. a little bit bougie of a garage sale district, is it? Yeah, you know, it is. Honestly, it is. Yeah, we uh, a lot of old wooden furniture and and like yeah, old lady clothes. That, that is true. Old a bunch of just a table full of like really nice crystal vases, handbags, and handbags yeah. and stuff. But like handbags that went out of style in the eighties, and the lady's dead. It's their daughters getting yeah. rid of it. So there is that kind of stuff, and and there, you know, there's stuff. Michelle just brought home some kind of seed planter, and I looked at it and I said, there, "There's no way this is from anywhere newer than 1987." The plastics all see through yellow, brownish. Well, well just the colors. Yeah, the yeah. colors is like this kind of mustard yellow, uh -huh. this kind of weird green. And I'm looking at this like I recognize this. This is like 1987. Everything was the same <laughs> colors. It's like that now. Um, the colors change so like slowly that we don't even realize it, but I wonder what the colors of this era will be. Mm. People are now talking about millennial gray. Teal's pretty big. Teal gray, is big right gray now. Gray is big. That kind of, yeah. I think now that we're like realizing it, I think gray will be start to be phased out. But yeah. I, I saw people on TikTok talking about the millennial gray. And, like, Gray's my age. Gray's pretty good. I love gray. Uh, I like a lot of gray stuff. Like, it works for a lot of different things, but I am a millennial. Yeah. The nice thing is, is I'm almost 50, so no one expects me to be hip anymore. That's what makes people hip, <laughs> is not not expecting or people to care or, or thinking about it. I dig your mountains. Thank you. These are dope. I like your I like your set. I like, this is very cool. I like the, it's it's a nice feel. I, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. The I mountains mean, were really fun. I love an excuse to do some art. Yeah. It looks really good. It's definitely thought out. I like your tin tacker. Oh yeah, that one. Uh, that was again a, a gift from a very nice guest. Yeah, yeah, very cool. I was, I was gonna, I was, I was thinking I should take, take bring one. I was like, ah, Michelle probably beat me to it. You have a few <laughs> sitting around? Just a couple. <laughs> uh, it seemed like that was maybe a bit of a traumatic event for Michelle. It was. Yeah, it, which was surprising to me how how hard she took it. But yeah, she uh, seems fairly tough. She is. She is. Um, you know, but it, it's. Um, you know, some things just bother people more than other things, you know, and, and I know that it's she, when it gets in a little, uh, an opening in your armor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and she had, you know, she hates the idea of letting the team down and that kind of thing. And so it was, uh, but I tell you, it ended up being a pretty good marketing opportunity. I think we, we, they gave, are really cool. Yeah. I mean, I, we, we sent like a hundred and 
or 500 of them to our different distributors and give them away. And, and those guys were joking with our daughter. It's like, you know, we'd be like 85 putting us in a home. It's like, well, we got one more box of tin tackers. <laughs> it's, it's true though. That's funny. But, uh, you know, I mean, at least they're cool. So. They're really cool. Yeah. I, I'm really tempted to make a clock out of it for some reason. I think you make a cool clock. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I, I, I think it, uh, you know, you can just buy those little clockwork pieces. So, so, uh, so easily. I used to now. draw Every single thing on that thing. That's why I love it. I used the to- The compass rose? Every part of it. I used to do that font. I used to do the compass rose. I used to do the clock. I used to do those banners. All of those were part of my doodle. Oh repertoire. yeah, the banners, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's why I love that thing. I keep staring at it and being like, I feel like that's like, I'm connected to that. I, I, it's because I, fuck, like, it's just like a much better version of one of my doodles when I was in college. Harkens back. Yeah. Exactly. Where'd you say you went to college? Humboldt? Uh, for a year, I went to Humboldt. And Is that then, California? Yeah, no, Arcata. Yeah. That was fun. That was a great school. I bet. It, it's similar to like, I think an Evergreen vibe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Reed kind of, hey, do your thing. Yeah, Reed is close to, to Humboldt. They're not far apart. Yeah. Um, I remember Humboldt kind of looking down their nose at Reed, but- Really? I think so, yeah. Wow. But that's, you know, that's just hearsay. I went to uh, I went to Central Washington. I was a public oh, okay, school so. kid. Yeah. yeah, and then you went to Western. Yeah, that's fine. a public school. Yeah, yep. nice, a big, medium sized public school. Yeah, I think Western and Central are pretty similar size wise. No, I think Western's a little bigger. Is but it I, bigger? Yeah, a bit bigger. Yeah, we go for quality. Well, you know, but you know, you <laughs> kind of go for your wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's always. I will say that, and maybe the audience doesn't know this is Western and Central. It has a long history of. Yeah. Of uh, giving each other. It's true. I'm not competitive about anything. I don't give a fuck. I just think that's fun. Oh, yeah. I'm the, I'm the same way. It's just you got to always have something like, yeah, fuck Western. I do the same thing with my wife who uh, went to Western Oregon. Oh, yeah. Um, she just went to the wrong one on accident, but it's okay. I'll Western let Oregon. it slide. Yeah, yeah. I went to Western Washington. That's out of the Westerns in the Pacific Northwest. That's the I always remember- the George Carlin bit. He's always like, never trust anybody who went to a school that has like a direction in the name. If they can't even <laughs> yeah. know, find the school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great joke. But I, you know, I really enjoyed Central. It was a fun school. It, uh, yeah. You know, it's a little cow town, lots of bars. and The direction name schools are a specific group of schools. Like they made them for a reason. It's for a, It was for us. It was yeah. for the middle class to get yeah. educated. They were supposed to be cheap. They were supposed to be cheap. I guess I'll say that twice. They were supposed to be cheap. Supposed to be. Uh, they're not. Not even close to cheap anymore. They're also supposed to be very accessible. Yeah. And also not really that anymore either. Mm. Um, also, they were, you know, I mean, I'm not going to get into that part, but they're supposed to teach the truth. <laughs> I don't know if they're still doing that, but they did when I went there. I, I liked it. But I, I hear a lot more people complaining about that than, than they used to, that it's more led by identity politics. And I hope it's not true. What do you mean by that? Well, that things uh, like what gets funded is, you know, what bleeds leads. What gets funded is like the gender studies stuff and in oh. and, and, and the current culture, the stuff yeah. that, that's real popular is uh, identity politics stuff. That's like about, you know, the the that kind of stuff really. You know, the unfortunate part is people are going to graduate degrees in gender identity studies and find out there's not a lot of jobs. I mean, that is only, that's a very narrow-minded sure. perspective. There's only, that's only one area, but- I'm sure it's. I hear I hear academics talking about it on podcasts quite often. Yeah. It's just there's a, a a thing where it's always been there. You know, you got to follow the party line. 
Yeah, I think that's true. And, and I, I, you know, and I wonder about, like we've, we've mentioned a couple of times in this kind of postmodernist sort of rejection of authority age, you know, what it's like for professors, what it's like to try to teach these kids that are coming in thinking that they already know more than the professors yeah. about X, Y, and Z, you know, that they're going yeah. into. And the professors can only get funded, for, they can only get a grant if they follow and do kind of the same shit that is already on the internet for these kids to look up. Yeah. But if they want to do something exciting, they got to get money from Jeffrey Epstein. That's yeah. how, that's how he got his power is he, 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 he met with scientists who like wanted to do something exciting and cool. And they're like, well, you know, I'll talk to this Jeffrey Epstein character. He seems really? to be, he's throwing money around. He's throwing money around. He's friends with Bill Gates. Gross. It is gross. The whole thing's gross. It is fucking bizarre. I saw his island. Really? We went to uh, the Virgin Islands. We went to uh, St. John and we took a catamaran trip over to the BVI. And we What was his plane like? Huh? What was his plane like? No, his plane, just his island. Oh. And it was, it was just kind of saw it from a distance. Mm, okay. I'm but, just joking. <laughs> but yeah, no, I didn't. I, did, I, I wasn't invited. I mean, no, I know. Just... <laughs> going out, you know, from the- That's a terrible joke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In this climate, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. It's fine with me. Like I said, I'm Generation X. We don't- uh, we missed the, uh, I, I don't know, I, I my generation somehow didn't get the outrage button. I, I don't have it either. I Anytime somebody pushes it, I'm like, ooh, shit, yeah. what, life is exciting for a I'm minute. Sure, I mean, I'm sure somebody, I'm sure there's people in my generation that do. There's a difference between trying to push the outrage button for, for to ignite everybody in laughter and trying to push it to scare people and cause hate. Yeah. Di- totally different things. Yeah. You know, my my whole thing is is just like you know, let's let's just let's have the conversation. If you want to have the conversation, let's have the conversation. But I've never been a proponent of shutting down the debate. Me either. And, and ridiculous. I, no, and, and I will say that you know, I, I think the the far left and the far right, they both have their individual problems. Um, but I think dogmatic both ends. Yeah. And and it's interesting is 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 I found and you know, I don't want to get too political here, but you seem pretty open on this show. Is it seems like they kind of both can get to fascism just by different routes. Beautifully said. And that's a quote somebody's going to write down for you, <laughs> and somebody like you is going to say it on a podcast later. I'm not sure if I came up with it. It's a good one. But it's true. Is that it's it's this kind of circular thing, and and the way that. And they both shut down freedom of speech, and they shred them down for different reasons. But it still results in the net effect is we don't have the conversation and we don't share ideas and we don't get all these things out on the table and we foment, uh, you know, feelings of hopelessness and frustration and aggression and all these things. And, and it just it, it just ends up kind of beating the hell out of society. And, and we've just we've found out at this point now where the other one side doesn't want to live in the other side's America. And I don't know where you go. I don't know where you go from there. We got to just inch our way towards the middle and no. no one has to go there all the way completely unless you want to, unless that's where you naturally are. Because there's enough of us who are, I, I'm really literally in the middle. I, there are some issues where I lean much further left and other issues where I lean much further right, but that keeps you right in the middle. You know, it's it's interesting and I and I, I, I tend to call myself a quite a centrist too. Uh, but I'm gonna, but I am gonna play devil's advocate just because it's something that I heard recently. So I, I do want to ask you this question: Is I, I have heard from minority communities that being in the middle is a privilege because Ooh, I, let me think about that because you don't have to fight against the things that people in 
on the periphery may have to fight against. And so like the far left on the progressiveness, they have to fight for rights and fight for inclusion and fight for equity. And so maybe they don't have, and so I saw something once it was from a, it was from an African-American, a black guy, but he was saying, it's like, I don't have the privilege to be in the middle. I have to fight for what I need. And I can only do that from the periphery, from the extreme edges. But is that true? I don't know because I don't live that life. So because I don't, I don't, because I don't live that life, it's the same things with like the transgender athlete question, because I don't live that life and I don't have skin in that game. I have a, I, I, I don't quite know how to come to the conversation. Yeah, me either. The way I look at it, I don't know. Have you ever tricked yourself in, into thinking something that maybe wasn't true at first and then the more you just did it, it became true eventually? I do. I remember one, I remember one time like really one time when I really experienced paranoia and I remember how awful it felt. It's terrible. It is. I, it's only been once, probably a little more weed than I needed. That's exactly what triggers it for most people. And, and I felt it, and I, but it was the same thing like when I have performance anxiety and I know it's a evolutionary response to a bunch of eyes on me and you just have to work through it. Yeah. But at Perceived the same- threat. Yeah, it's a threat. You know, you get a bunch of, bunch of animals are looking at me. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. You know, and you got to breathe through that. Some people just thrive on it. They love it. Love it. Love it. I yeah. hate it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I've learned to live with it and I can kind of bring it on. To, like I just played St. Patrick's Day at the Jetty. I played some Irish tunes and stuff. And I and before I played, I went on a walk and I kind of thought about everybody looking at me and I kind of was able to get myself into this adrenaline release state and just kind of, yeah. you know, at least to you kind of visualization. Get, get myself ready for it and all that. Cause you know, it's coming. That's part of like when you, when you perform a lot, you kind of get used, you, you, you learn how to channel it and direct it. Yeah. Just like anything else, practice, practice, yeah. practice. But you know, it's, um, I love public speaking, you know? but I, I, you know? yeah, I really do. I, I don't mind that at all. Um, I love it actually. It feels great, but it's usually because, I can, I have stuff to say. Emotional expression and artistic expression are too closely related yeah. that it feels very vulnerable. Yeah. To, I, to do music or, or a performance of any kind. I, I, even as a little kid, I remember just, even just doing a play, I was just like, oh, fuck, come I have, on. I but even, always, even though I liked it a little bit. I've always considered myself a technician rather than a creative. Mm -hmm. And so as a technician, I can always sort of have this I'm recreating someone else's creativity. And so there's maybe less of myself in it than there are in a lot of artists and performers. There's a lot to be said about that. And a lot of it is that that is what true creativity really is. You're taking what you know and and shaping it into something through your perspective and yeah. your lens. And that's yeah. that's what creati creativity is. Yeah, and those people impress me. I can't write songs. I've tried. They all sound like a 13-year-old kid's diary. You know? See, what I so do mine. I, I wonder if- Real uh, whiny are my songs. <laughs> mine are whiny too. Uh, the I wonder though if, if people who write the songs that we all just accept are great- yeah. Um, how much of, of that is that, you know, good marketing? How much of that is the collective agreement that we all decide this is fucking good art? Well, there's... And how much of it is just like, how many songs are in somebody's computer or, you know, in a fucking eight track somewhere that yeah. no one ever heard yeah. and, and are, are just beautiful pieces of art and... and yeah. The person who made it thinks it was garbage. Well, you know how many how many prodigies were never handed an instrument. There's that too. It, that, that's what I'm talking about. That that like 
quantum level opportunity loss well, an opportunity, that consciousness brings. Opportunity is such a big part of success and such a big part of fulfillment and that kind of thing. Is that, yeah. that's that opportunity. Um but we can all only we only have one life to do yeah. all this stuff. So like you get to choose that's what the game is. It's like knowing right. how to spend your time tokens. Well, and that's and the your thing. attention tokens. And that, and that's what I'll say, you know, if there's someone listening who isn't happy with their life, as soon as this podcast's over, go change your life. Immediately start focusing on what makes you happy. Yeah. What because, makes you feel alive. And everybody's like, "Well, I got to make X amount of money." It's like, "Do you?" Do you how much you know cut you Those have good to, questions to ask. You have to make some. You have to make some. But if you didn't need to keep up with everybody and watch everything that they're watching and get the bigger TV and get the better surround sound and get the better car and get the better wheels and get the better clam gun or whatever that you gotta get. There's some good clam guns out there. Good clam guns out there, but do they get clams better than the shovel or the busted piece of PVC pipe? I don't know. Beautiful. And so anyway, so it's 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 Yes, you have to make a certain amount of money to live, and that's true to to, to maintain your desires. But, but you like, can use that as a blanket, just like yeah, I can't do anything because of right. this, right. and then you can throw so many other things right on top of that, and being like, that's the reason. But really, it it may not be because you. It's like because you have the ability to change to change your life, you are totally responsible for your life. And that's John Paul Sartre, and that's existentialism. That is, yes, we were thrust unbidden into this world. But we're here. But we're here. And so it's your responsibility to make the most out of it that you can. And and if you don't like your life, then it's up to you to change it because no one else is going to take your life on for you. No. And say, okay, let's work with, hey, hey, buddy, come over here. Let's work together and try to make your life better. No one's going to do that, but certainly not if you're an adult. No, no. <laughs> and it would you don't want them to. If no. they tried, you'd be like, fuck no, you can't. No, because their their idea of the good life is not your idea of the good life. It and they might not even want you to have the good life. They might want you to just work for them forever and not get paid very oh, well. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, know. no. My, yeah, we come by cynicism naturally in my- Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to in this day and age. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a, Power corrupts. But that's you know? true. It, it's it's you have to look at your life, decide what to change, decide what you don't like, and Focus my wife. My, like. my wife calls it jettison the beliefs that don't work for you anymore, and adopt new ones, and and figure out you know where you want to go and those kind of things. And I, and that's the biggest thing that it's like it's that. Um, but but it does take, and I recognize that it does take. Um, you know, you have to meet some. You have to meet some sort of basic needs of food and shelter and security yeah, yeah. and those kind of things. And it's and it's especially hard, you know, when people have kids yeah. and those kind of So things. the argument that you're saying right now uh, where you can say like, look, I'm trying to meet my, meet my survival needs. So that's the reason I don't take time to take care of myself, my own health or, you know, my my own mental health. I don't meditate because I don't have any time. So instead, I, like I, you know, use what little time I have to, right. uh, you know, I don't know whatever people do. There, there are lots of excuses, and maybe meditation is not the thing. But whatever the thing is, well, let's say like walking. People say it's like well, walking I, is a great example. It's like I want to, I want to. I lose. can't exercise. Right, I can't exercise. It's like okay, do you watch TV? Any amount. Any amount of TV. Do you watch? Because TV? any amount of walking is good for you. Yeah. It's like well, you know, in the evenings, I like to, I like to, I like to relax, and I watch TV for a few hours. Okay, go walk. Exactly. Go walk because it's. Unless it, unless it becomes important to you enough 
to give up something that you otherwise enjoy doing or you're just in the habit of doing. Yeah, which is most things. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Most yeah. things are habitual. You do them because you're used to doing them. And Familiarity is habit. And that's that, you know, I, and I have this kind of, you know, that's the subconscious. The subconscious will run your life for you if you let it to. I mean, your yeah. rational, your, you know, your reason, your consciousness only really gets involved when there's something to think about. Otherwise, yeah. it's like all of a sudden you find yourself in the kitchen eating something. It's like, how the hell did I get in here? I'd say the vast majority of your ego resides in the subconscious. Is I, yeah. I think I've seen a diagram of that, but that's that's the way it feels. I heard this great thing, and it kind of drives this point home. Where, um, you know, we're sophisticated enough animals that if we eat dinner at the same time every night, about fifteen minutes before we typically eat dinner, uh, our body releases insulin. About 15 minutes before we typically start eating because it knows food's coming. We're a pretty, you know, we're we're a pretty sophisticated primate. You know, we can know these things are coming. And that's where the discipline and that's where the rational and the self-control comes in, the moderation. You have to say, hey, I know I just got hungry because it's expecting me to eat. But the, hey, guess what? I'm in charge. The rational function is in charge, not my body, not my stomach. And I can deny it. And the more I deny it, the wider my comfort zone becomes because now my comfort zone isn't I have to eat every time it's hungry. My comfort zone is I eat when I feel like it. And if my body's yeah, hungry- Yeah, but if you just have a snack, you'll feel so much better and then yeah. you won't be grouchy and no one will be mad at you. Well, and that grouch- Just have a bite. And just that grouchiness, It'll be good. That grouchiness is a tough one. And that and that hang- You know, that Michelle and I have done intermittent fasting now for about six years. The grouchiness goes away when you do that. Well, it becomes- a, Again, it becomes a habit. Mm -hmm. It becomes It becomes something that- It becomes that, fun. Yeah. And energizing. It's a it's a challenge every day. You kind of day. feed off of the, star the starvation. Yeah, it's like, how long can I go? And you also find out that your body runs fairly efficiently if you can do that. Yeah, you think crystal clear. Yeah. It's really, I, it's like a stark difference. I, I think it's 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 um, a lifestyle change that we made and I, I, I've never looked back from it. I'll do it the rest of my life. It's, uh, and that's that. That's that that ethos, you know, the, the characteristic, the habit, and and you have to do it to build the habit. It's not going to be easy at first, but you have to stick with it. I don't know that it. I mean, then it's it never gotten that easy for me. <laughs> Even when I've established really good habits yeah. for years at a time, it has. I've always waited for it to get easy, and it just doesn't. But that also could be, you know, the neurodivergence. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, it, it probably is that. It but, could be a number of things. It, it, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's. I'm no. I'm not typical by any means, but that. Uh, <laughs> that yeah, it does get easy by by the books. They say it does. After but I mean, like you seem like 60, a fairly self-aware guy. I mean, why do you think it wouldn't become easy? to a fault? To a fault. Yeah. So why do you think it's not easy after that time? Uh, well, I I do think it's just because I I have a brain who typically loves to just go go off. Yeah. Like um I I really get excited by new new paths, and uh, most of them are completely mental just like a lot a lot of it is just like thinking about new projects or ways that i could drastically improve my life with uh just by doing something really smart like uh, or a book i could read that has just like changed the world and i yeah. could read that book and those kind of thoughts like they're dope they produce dopamine so and sure I, so i've recognized this a long time ago that i used to just like depend on daydreaming yeah, As almost like masturbatory. Almost, yeah. Uh, like, 
I, I realize now it was like that's the fuel I used to get through my youth. Yeah. Like, and when my life really almost sucked, like escapism. Yeah, I needed a whole lot of dopamine. I was like, I lived in my head, yeah. and that's uh, that's disassociation. That's not a healthy life. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's made it to where you know I do have a pretty rich inner world yeah. that I can go to when I need it, and I don't live there anymore. So our, it's just kind of there. Our bodies are very good at cajoling us. I kind of still live there, but not all yeah. the time. Well, you have to. You know, what I mean, yeah. and there's nothing. There, there's always as long as. I think it's always, it's like, if it, if it doesn't harm you, if it doesn't harm anybody else, you know, I mean, these kind of, there's always a point, and even like Marcus Aurelius says, you know. Perfect you, guy to talk about with where I was thinking we were going. You always have a place you can withdraw in your head to recharge, reboot, and then step back out into the world. Yeah. I Okay, so people like Marcus Aurelius and a lot of the other guys you talk about so far, they seem to know that we're like multiple people all in the, all in yeah. here, and not just two like Descartes thought, like the the dualism, sure. uh, where it's just like we're a soul and a body, and that's it, and um, they're separate things. But it's it's clearly not that either. But I really enjoy just the general human task of observing that process of the yeah. different Jeff Nesbits that pop out and when they pop out, and the the audacity of some of them, and like right. the how I'm. The same person can be so withdrawn and uh, in one situation and not in another, and like the just the skill levels in certain contexts. All the all yeah. the psychological principles that I learned about in action is a very. It's just fun. It's like if you if you can find energy in that, your life can be pretty good. And um, that is what my life has become is just like being able to balance the just staying curious genuinely curious about my own existence and yeah. that that's where the most genuine happiness actually is and i think it's like that for anyone no matter what your life is i think that's true i i think the the it's the more i think you can understand yourself and you can understand your motivations and you can understand why it is you do what you do and like you're talking yeah. about what causes these other people to pop out when do i feel the most confident when do i feel like ah, i'm feeling a little reserved and then investigating kind of what that is because again our, our bodies with our different hormones and stress hormones they're so good at cajoling us into doing what it is our body evolutionarily thinks we should be doing at that point yeah and it's been doing it so long it knows that you know that it knows yeah so it has ways of working around well, your awareness and the subconscious yeah it's it's like the you know our consciousness has sort of developed to in my in my opinion to sort of deal with the 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 constraints of social living because you know we're an entity that takes a lot of inputs to raise but we can't get them ourselves so you have to live socially in order to do that yeah you have to be able to work for the social good in order to do that you have to be to kind of be able to think abstractly if you're not like bees and ants and just sort of do it by rote maybe maybe so but you know but then at the same time, it's like you have to be able to say, okay, I don't, I don't need that evolutionary pattern anymore. I don't, I don't need that kind of it, it to be telling me all these people are looking at me. I got to get ready to fight or flight. Creating that separation. Yeah. And so then it, so then it becomes that, that game of trying to get that higher function to over, override it. But it's true. I mean, we are, we are so complex – we're such a complex organism with so many different inputs – do you think any other animals experience that level of separation to at, even close to our extent where it's like we really know how much like 
we have an impact on our own existence and it's not all it's like an in, it, a largely internal locus of control in your existence if, i i think dolphins maybe if they do we haven't observed it uh you know it, it's it, hard to observe if if they do we could don't. we observe it on ourselves if we were right. dolphins I, I think you're right that probably the toothed whales uh, are probably about they're as, some of the best are about as close as you can get especially when you look at the size of their brains and the way yeah. their brains are wired and those kind of things so i mean just gotta look them in the eye yeah they're like oh shit there's something there yeah those and are... there was a book i read once and it was it was it was pretty amusing it was like um it's back from the 60s i didn't get too into it but it was like i read like one of the series and it was a sci-fi book and it was basically like there's three levels of intelligence in the in the universe, right? And the the fir- the highest level of intelligence was these um, entities that lived on Jupiter, or they lived in the clouds of Jupiter, and they lived off in deep space, right? And you couldn't really wrap your head around what they were. And they showed up one day, and they took out all the technology on Earth. They didn't kill anybody; they just wiped out all the technology because it was bad for the dolphins. Because the second level intelligence is the beaked whales or the toothed whales, you know, orcas and dolphins, and then men or, you know, humans and animals and trees are not considered intelligent. And so those were like the three levels Is of intelligence. Kurt, Kurt Vonnegut book? No, it was I can't remember his name. It wasn't Kurt Vonnegut, what, but it was Kurt was Vonnegut-esque. I can't uh, I think I'll, I'll I've send read it. it. I'll I send think it. I've read that. They all like lived on Mars, but his big thing, he was like from the 60s and 70s. He was like this total hippie. So it's like his, he had this really- Is it Edward Abbey? No, no, but he had this, he had this, no, nah, I don't know. I'll look it up. But he had this whole thing where like everybody was naked all the time. And they like, were like little perp, little, he, he was really big on everybody. But he had this big nudist kind of concept, mm-hmm. like enough that- Very it, 60, 70. That's... Enough that it like really kind of- Okay, enough of the nude stuff, yeah, guy. Yeah, it, it really kind of uh, obscured- it's like the... talking about skin folds all the time. Exactly. Yeah, it, it got to the point. It's like, all right, hey, we get everybody's naked. Can we drop it? Because we yeah. don't have to always say they're in a spacesuit. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> you know, the daughter's arguing about having to like go to school naked because she. But wants my nipples little... are chafing in the sun. Yeah, it got it got a little it got a little that way. I was like, all right. I mean, cool story, cool idea, but uh-huh. you, you lost you lost the handle here for me. That's very uh, that's that's another one of those very much the razor's edge situations there where it's like yeah. uh, when you're creating art. How much do you let yourself fall into your humanity and, right. and uh, or how much do you just like try to focus on the purity of the art form and how, you know, that balance? I mean, that's what makes good artists good artists. Yeah. But um, how much do you let the nudist you know? in you out? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's the whole thing. Who it's knows? That, that visceral kind of thing, you know, and how much of that. And, and, and There's and, some and, really shitty art out there. Uh, there is, you know, and, and there is. And that's why this. I've know, made some of it, actually. Almost all the art I've made is shitty. Almost all of it. <laughs> what, what, what is your what is your uh, what is your medium? I mean, I'd say my primary medium of expression would have to be finger painting, mostly turkeys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I do a mean hand. What did you do? These mountains? I did do the mountains. That's impressive. Um, That's pretty cool. The sign's very cool. I like the guy. I, I like the. The head. Were you bald at one point? No, I made. I, I like the whole feel of the sign. very cool. Yeah, my friend Kelsey made that for me with Dream Suite Designs. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, it's it's nice. Very clean lines and all that kind of thing. Thank it matches you. your your mountains well. Yeah, it's like it was cut by lasers. I'm pretty sure it was actually. Do you, do you just like hang out up here? 
I, I, you know, I pictured that being it when I was, when I made it, but I have children and, uh, how are and a job and, you know, demanding wife, yeah, uh, 14, yeah, yeah. 12 and five. Oh, you're right in it, man. Oh uh, yeah. You it's, are in it's it. the shit. <laughs> you are in the shit. Oh yeah. my God. I got you, dude. I feel for you, brother. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's, uh, it's, I know again, it's like, the, I have a pretty zoomed out perspective. Yeah. I know I can see myself in the future, looking back on these moments, being like, you lucky son of a bitch. Yeah. So I know when I'm, you know, uh, literally up to my elbows and shit, yeah. like someday I'm going to look back on these as the good old days. So, because no matter what, whether I look at it as the best years of my life or the worst years of my life, they're minute and fleeting. So it's my choice. You know, I think all of it, you know, all of it kind of fills all of it are, are things that make you who you are and you can like kind of look at them and you know, yeah. it's like, uh, it's just so fucking easy to be sad and, and yeah. discouraged. Why bother like leaning into our natural tendency to do so, which some people have it worse than others, but everybody has some kind of inclination to focus on the negative. Cause that's to our survival instinct. It feels good to wallow. It not just feels good to wallow. It, it protects you from getting killed by lions. True. So like, yeah. I mean, if you miss, if you miss a good opportunity, there might be another one coming up, but if you miss a big threat, you're fucking dead. Right. Right. And I, you know, and, and that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. And I think it's like, you know, it's not letting that pragmatism run away with you. Yeah. Because again, we're that next level where we can figure out, oh, yeah. that's not everything though. Yeah. It's that second level desires, you know, it's that I, you know, I want the ice cream, but I wish I didn't want the ice cream. So getting back to it, when we look at animals, right? Watching that whole process of watching the creature that wants the ice cream, that knows it wants the ice cream. Yeah. That's what we should be doing. Yeah. That's fun. Like we can all do that. Why don't people do that? Right. I, lo I love doing that. Like talking about like really on an honest level, how weird we all are. Yeah. Like, we're we're crazy in it. We're we're a crazy animal. Well, it's it's you know the the your your body evolutionarily speaking, it was like, hey, look at this. These are free simple carbohydrates. I usually can't find simple carbohydrates. Eat eat all of this that you can right now because I'm gonna store them away for later because there might not always be all these great carbohydrates around. So your body wants you to eat them all, and it's gonna say, hey, here's a shit ton of dopamine. Eat this stuff, and I'm gonna make you feel great. And then it, I'm going to pull back on the dopamine, not even just a little bit lower than you were before you had the yep. sugar. Yeah. Just so you go get more. Yeah. Sugar's my thing, man. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't drink a ton because of the gout and stuff like that. I'm on the medication, but it's like mostly it's health and stuff like that. But what's your thing? What do you like? I'm a huge sugar fan. I, I, sugar. we should talk about that a bit. Dude, sugar is my, sugar's my thing. With a little salt, usually. Yeah. That salted caramel, man. I tell you, no, no, it, it is. And especially fat I do like. Yeah. And especially being, you know, I, I, I cut way back on drinking just because I, I want to stay healthy and those kind of things. And, 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 uh, and ever since I cut back on drinking quite a bit, I found my sweet tooth has gone through the roof because my body got used to those simple sugars that alcohol gets broken down into and all that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah. you want more simple sugar because your body loves simple sugar, especially if you it's have- so good. I just read a thing and I, and I want to talk to my mom about it because what I read, or I didn't read, I listened to it, is that- That counts. Yeah. So it's this idea- If it's of, a book, it counts. It's a, it was a- or an it's article. A, it's a lecture series. Ooh. So it's like a professor's, you know, lecture series. Kind yeah. Of thing. Great I, I'd say it counts. I'd say it counts. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, he's a doctor of- 
neuro. I mean, if it's written, if it's, if right. it's being read, if read it's like, me. well, I mean, I did some master classes. I would, who cares? I'm sorry I interrupted yeah. you. Keep going. No, no, no. It's good. Uh, you know, the, uh, so anyway, he was talking about was like, he was talking about non, non-genetic hereditary where it's like, and so what he was talking about, if you have a woman, like, let's say, and they were talking about specifically during like the, um, it was one specific part where the Nazis were in Poland, I believe it was. And it was this one winter of like 1941 where, or it was 44 because it was like the Nazis were losing and their supply lines were cut off. And so what they did is they just took all the population's food, right? For the army. And so what you had is you had this one very specific time period with this one specific population that went from very, very healthy first world Western European uh, dietary habits to this super restrictive starvation level dietary habit for this one winter, right? A natural experiment. Right, right. And so what they did then is, you know, being good scientists, they tracked these kids that came from this. And what they found was when you're in utero and you're, you're, it doesn't work this way, you know, not consciously, but your body as it's, as this baby is forming, as this fetus is forming and placentally and all this kind of stuff, it's taking a pull of what the outside environment seems to be like based on what the mother's passing along to it. And what they found was these mothers who got a very restricted diet, these fetuses are saying, okay, I am entering into this world where there's not a lot of nutrition. So I need to create for myself a metabolism that is thrifty. It uses little and it stores all that it can, which you have is obesity. You have in this one population that happened this, you had a higher oh, level yeah. of obesity, higher level of adult onset diabetes. Was it diet, World War II? World War II. Adult it onset Leningrad? diabetes. Was it, like- it wasn't, it was somewhere in Poland. Um, I can't remember where it was. It was just a city that was occupied or you know, they stole all their food kind of thing. But so non-genetic, hereditary because of the circumstances of the mother during pregnancy. And then what you have is this fetus that then if it uh, grows to maturity and it, and it re and it, and it has children of its own, this, this woman then has children, then it passes along that. And so now you have two or three generations of uh, high insulin levels, adult onset diabetes, short obesity, fat those people. kind of things, short fat people, generation for two really or three generations, it. it has nothing to do with genetics. It has to do with environment. And they sound this too with stress hormones. And they Would found- that count as epigenetics? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know the terminology. I mean- I don't know what it means. Epigenetics is like when environmental factors- Yeah. The switching on and off of genes. Right. Be, you know, episteme is kind of like above. You know, like uh-huh. so epi, ep, uh, epistemology is, there. you know, um, the knowledge of knowledge, I guess. So you, uh, no, meta is above. That's right. So episteme is like knowledge of- I mean, cool. It could, like the knowledge of the environment, mm-hmm. you know, again, I don't I've know heard that. I've heard that study before and, um, or those studies. But it works with anxiety things. too. They found mm-hmm. these anxiety hormones where if your mother is very stressed out during pregnancy, especially in the third trimester, uh, these fetuses, they don't turn off the anxiety produce, even if the, what was causing the anxiety, the production of anxiety hormones in the child or in the person once they're born, the function that turns off that anxiety-producing hormones gets yeah it's tuned like, well, down. I'm gonna need this. I'm yeah, gonna keep this thing keep, around. Keep them we coming because this. we're oh, in a stress. Nah, yeah, nah. we're in a stressful environment. Yeah. Keep them coming. Yeah, you know. 
And that's a survival tactic that probably worked a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, but it's not very comfortable. No, it's not. And it's not something that then, you know, really kind of is, it's not something that we need in modern society. It's not something that we need with our modern experience. No, it's now it's, it's not serving anybody. Now it's just detrimental. No, now it's a lot of people that are anxious all the time. Yeah. It's giving people agoraphobia and things yeah. like that. Obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah. Just this generalized anxiety, you know, it's like, well, something's going to go, I don't know what, but something's going to go wrong here eventually. So, you know, I'm, it's just the, and yeah, it's that sense of doom. Yeah, it's just that 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 sort of um, static kind of um, worry. I you know, it's funny you call it static. What if it's just like the Wi-Fi? We'll find out a hundred years from now. It's like, oh yeah, Wi-Fi. Turns out it was just like making everybody kind of grouchy, um, and we just didn't know. <laughs> and then we we stopped. We like figured it out and changed something about the Wi-Fi, and it went away. And everyone's like, oh shit. I I feel so much better. Is like there when, studies that says it's Wi-Fi? No, I don't think so. Uh, I'm just spitballing here. But yeah. like like when everyone learned, uh, started drinking water in the 90s, it was like, oh, wow, we were really dehydrated. Yeah, water's good for it, yeah. I mean, I, it could be. It could be absolutely something environmental that's causing this much more anxiety and this kind of thing. I, I mean, the environment is always a factor. Yeah. A large one, no yeah. matter what, no matter what. So like our environment, since it has changed so much and so fast, it is inevitably affecting our development. Well, absolutely. You know, we're 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 not we're not of. We didn't probably evolve to live exactly the way we're living. You know, no, probably not. And that doesn't make us unique. I don't think evol evolution occurs with intention. I think no, it's a reactionary oh, no, no, process. No. Evolution is a totally random. You know, here's a here's a genetic mutation, and it either increases your chances of survival or not even survival it increases your chances to pass along your genetic material or it decreases it that's a very uh, like systematic way to look at it but it's it works it works it, but but it's absolutely random because it's like you know like let's you know think about a hummingbird you know it requires a large sample yeah because way back which makes when, you feel very small and insignificant which people don't like yeah it's true yeah people are very concerned like what i'm being, just one little switch in that whole thing well, people like to think the universe is skewed in their favor, and it's yeah. unfortunately not. Because that also makes you more likely to go out there and kick ass. Well, we've also, you know, there's a lot of Western culture. Or end up in a home. A lot of Western culture kind of spoon feeds us that, you know, you're an individual, you're God's special children. You're a cowboy. Kind of things you Get out there and shine, buddy. But, uh, you know, so you have a hummingbird, let's say, and they have a genetic mutation that makes their eyes more... Um, to uh, more able to see further into the ultraviolet spectrum. And now, you know, these plants that were yellow, now they pop bright glowing and it leads them to them better. Well, that bird's going to have a better chance at surviving and raving young and passing along. That's just a random genetic mutation because that same bird could have had a genetic mutation that makes its eyesight less responsive to ultraviolet light. And it's going to have a harder time finding food and that's not going to pass along its genetics. So we are built to be the, the the most surviving creature in this sort of but what we were built to survive in is is this kind of savanna grassland but it's not it's not so much built to survive in it as much as like that bird it was selected i know but as much as that bird couldn't see as well in ultraviolet as well as that other mutant bird but i better figure something else out and so it it's like well, those plants they look similar i'm going to try it and it's got some kind of special property that makes that bird accelerate in their development and that could be too 
it happens. Yeah. That's the way the process. And, and there's so many different. Paths and that's the thing. It's just random. Exactly. It's not. Like it's unpredictable. Yeah. It's it's totally random. You know how it kind of comes in, and it either. There may- are just. I mean, it's not unpredictable. AI will figure it out. Yeah, but I mean, the other yeah, day man. I had an AI tell me that consciousness is an emergent property of matter, and with enough time to develop uh, sufficient complexity, it will emerge. And that's what happened with us, and that's what's now happening with AI. Consciousness is emergent. Say that again. It's an emergent property of matter, and it just takes enough time to develop enough sufficient complexity for it to emerge. Basically, like the, all the parts of one conscious being working together long enough will align enough times to develop enough benefits to their reproductive health to condense into a being that is powerful enough in its thought powers, yeah. its cognitive powers to be aware of its own existence. Well, I think there needs to be, there has to be a reason, not a reason. There has to be some benefit to consciousness in the environment, probably to keep on selecting for it. I think it's an ultimate benefit. It's, it's only improving. I think consciousness is only getting better and better. That's what I, I don't think evolution's done at all. I think consciousness is just continuously improving and yeah. we are just one iteration of that. But I, I, that's what it is. It's, that's what the whole evolutionary process is probably just consciousness is evolution through matter. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we're not the last bit of matter that before it jumps to digital. Well, I don't think we're that, you know, we're not the end of history. No, by not by any means. We're, we're, we're sit. we're kind of just sort of sitting. But in if the we created a technology that, that boosted consciousness into the next thing and it left us, I guess it depends on, behind. well, I, I guess then to define consciousness. That's, that's where we get really get because, into it, but we're, all, we're over three hours now. Oh yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to tax it. Oh, I would, I mean, I would love to honestly, yeah. but th- that's my favorite question ever because most people don't want to talk about it, but it's, it's really fun. I mean, cause I, I we all have con- it. consciousness is just being self-aware is being awake and aware of your surroundings. When you give it that easy of a definition though, even though that's obviously what it is. Yeah. It makes way too many things conscious. Then a tree's conscious. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I think a tree is conscious, but I'm a tree hugger. Tree is well, trees are conscious on a level. You know, they just you know they, they talk they're about they're fully it quite aware a of bit. their yeah. surroundings, Absolutely. Their surroundings, Absolutely. and they actually they do manipulate their environment. They communicate with their peers. They do a lot of stuff. They share resources they between are, one another. They are perfectly adapted for their environment, just like every other creature who's survived the billions of years of evolution to get to where they are now, they're adapted well to their environment. So yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. Maybe we'll have to do this again. And Objectively, talk that'd be a great way to look at what's the best kind of consciousness is how well is it adapted yeah. to its environment? Because yeah. I just tell you my kind of f- feeling on our consciousness quickly. I don't want to keep it too long. No, go, go for it, man. Is, I, I, um, I'm at my house. As long as you can stay and talk about consciousness, yeah. I will record you. Is that, you know, somewhere along the way, and this is just kind of my thought, and I haven't, and, and you make a good point, you know, where do you cut off consciousness, is is that we have first level desires as animals, you know, we talked about. So let's say I desire to, you know, eat this food, right? Now, somewhere along the way, and, and uh, you know, dogs, dogs are, they're social animals. Dogs are social animals. Bees are social animals. Which is a pretty distinctive thing for and consciousness. And, and that's kind of what we've said is what separates us from the animals is this rational function, this reason, this ability to look at our first level desires and say, I want to eat the ice cream 
but I desire that I do not desire to eat the ice cream. And those second level desires, because we're such a complex entity and because we are born very prematurely, you know, we're born because our heads or brains are so big to fit through the birth canal, we have to be born very prematurely. And so it takes yeah. a lot of years to bring us to adulthood more and that's also, you know, why you have uh, pair bonding and, you know, the, this kind of a, a need for a family structure and a village structure to help raise these kids. And that's just the way we've evolved the animals that do that best. Our big brains make us who we are. Yeah. And part of doing that is to say, because like I live in this environment, I live in this social environment, I have to say, even though I want to eat that food, I need to save it for this kid. And that I, that I really think starts to be some of the foundations of consciousness to be able to think abstractly and, and to be able to like look at hypothetical situations such as if I ate this food, then this other child I'm trying to raise won't be able to and I need to make this person happy so they'll get food for me. And this starts being based on these pressures of social life to raise these very complex animals to adulthood, it requires being able to check your desires. That begs the question though, is there an objective morality to go to, to look to? Like, so that if you're raising a kid, is there, uh, is that gonna be ingrained in them? Are they gonna implicitly know, is that just gonna emerge one day that they're gonna be like, oh yeah, it's actually for the benefit of all if I'm to, you know, sometimes put my desires last and put the needs of others first. I think so. I think you, you see children doing it. You see toddlers doing it. You know, another kid's upset and they try to go give them their toy. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think you do. I think it's part of it. So, you know, what you say, is there objective right or wrong? You know, that's Kant's deontological argument. Is there an objective right or wrong? Is there truth value to any statement of a moral right or wrong? And then someone like David Hume says, no, it's not. Same with Bertrand Russell. No, there's not. There's just, there's basically statements of opinion, mm -hmm. but there's no objective right or wrong. But I would say that there's probably, they're probably both right. Now, I'm not a true com compatibilist, but I think they're kind of both right in that the deontological Kant's objective right and wrong comes from our built-in evolutionary drive of trying to make sure our kids grow up. And so I think some of these things about yeah, yeah. survival are deontological. Now, I don't think they are in a cosmic sense. I don't think there's any objective right or wrong, but to our survival as evolved beings, then yes, I think there are. But I think that probably the more the truth is, is it's probably just kind of a statement of opinion yeah. if you make a value judgment on a moral. Well, that's a lot. I think I got most of it, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think- But that's the whole argument, that yeah. objective versus, or is it just sort of a free-for-all and if it- if it And most of the time, how much does it matter if it's beyond that actual situation where it applies? Like It's rare. It's very, very rare. Yeah. And it's almost problematic more often than not if you try to take, I mean, it's great to use analogies, but like it's bring a whole bunch. Yeah. Like you take your situation, apply it to as many as you can compare it to instead of trying to find like, oh, yep, it's definitely this and you're wrong and I'm right. And it's just, that's a dangerous path. Some of the best ones I've heard, the I, I think one of the ones, you know, because Immanuel Kant came out with this idea of act in a way where if you could, the way you act becomes this universal maxim, right? Oh, I love that. That's yeah. fantastic. That's practice what you preach. And it's great. And and it's and, and and it works out really well, but then someone can come along and say, okay, but that's just sort of formalism because what if I think which is great is stealing everybody's property, and I don't mind if everybody steals from everybody, and so that's anarchy. It's anarchy. Well, it's, no, that's not true anarchy. So but people can people can kind sorry, of sorry, anarchists. I don't mean that. 
because it's this formalism, people can toy with it. But then Kant came out later and said, okay, so I understand the critique of this is that, you know, you could use it for nefarious purposes if you're, you know, if you have a different yeah, if you're idea a dick, of right and wrong. You, yeah. can, you can mess up anything good. So then he came out and said, act in a way that you treat people as never a means, but as an ends in and of themselves. So whenever you enter into um, some activity with people, you treat them as an ends unto themselves, never as a means. So, I mean, that's a good way to go too. Is this like- what do you, have, what, Can you explain that a little more? Yeah, sure. So it's saying that, because a person is a member of our cosmopolis of humanity, they have dreams and desires. They have a sort of ingrained humanity and a right to liberty and happiness and the pursuit of whatever they consider happiness and justice and all these things, is that as members of the human cosmopolis, we should not have the right to use them as a means to our end. They have to be used as an ends in themselves, right? Yeah. And so I'm never going to say, okay, I'm going to take it. I'm going to pick this guy up and I'm going to work him to death and not pay him and kick him out of my car because I can use him that way. So it's like- So not having an exploitative mindset. Right. It's yeah. saying we're in this together. We're going to work together. So that was Kant's kind of kind of, um, kind of, of take on it. So Kant what, must not have been a capitalist because no. the most successful no. capitalists are do the exact opposite of that. And it's uh, ruining the world. No, Kant had family money. You don't have to be a capitalist. A lot of philosophers family had family money well, or none at all. Like it yeah. seems like it was either one or the other. Well, you know, you can only- They weren't thinking about money. It, it, you know, it, it, it kind of goes back to that and I'm probably going to piss off people, but it's true. Well, I it's, hope so because otherwise no one listens. It's easy to be a socialist when you're poor. Yeah. It's because also, uh, because yeah. it's it's a lot of take and it's easy you know it's like Winston Churchill said it's like they said his son was a communist and he said my son's twenty years old I would be disappointed if at twenty he wasn't a communist now when he's forty I might have a different opinion the first time you read Marx it sounds pretty good yeah and it does you know and, and if you're around twenty you know and and unfortunately it just sort of seems you know, dangerous as fuck when collapse like, under the weight of its own contradictions you know yeah it just it just it it doesn't it doesn't end up working out based on probably not Marx's fault, but probably human. No, he was a good writer. The nature. fact that it's so punchy is the right. reason it's kind of a little scary. But Karl Marx's father owned vineyards and he grew up very wealthy and he was able to, you know, flee to London and live in a very nice place in London. And it's it's easier, I think, to have these kind of highfalutin ideas about the way the world would be when you're not concerned with getting the daily bread. And is there going to be a roof over your head? Today? That's why we love hip hop. Yeah. It really is. It's because these guys came from a much grittier place where they were fighting for those fights. Well, and it sounds real. People yeah. recognize real. You a fan of hip hop? Love hip hop. Well, who do who you like? Beastie Boys. Oh, shit. Uh, Beastie Rick Boys. If I, if, I want down my, if I run down my hip hop, Beastie Boys, NWA, um, I really, just like newer stuff, I really got into Kendrick Lamar. Oh, I love Kendrick I Lamar. I dig his stuff, man. He's got such a unique delivery. I love it. And you know, I, and I listen to, and, and, and just because I think they're so talented, not because it really speaks to me as much, but I love like Drake and Nas just from their, their flow. Fantastic. Uh, Eminem. All good. Is obviously, you know, but then I, you know, I, I love 50 Cent, Nelly, Ludacris. I mean, that's. That was, that I was, was in my middle school era. hip-hop guy, yeah. You must have been just out of college if yeah. you were 15 years apart. Yeah. Me and Luda, Puffin Buddha. 
Move, bitch. Yeah. Yeah, but that's it. That's what I grew up listening to. Because, you know, that, you know, grunge and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it, it was hip hop. I remember like the first time I heard License to Ill. It was just, and back then it was different. And, you know, a lot of, any young people. Rick Rubin. Yeah. Rick Rubin. Fantastic. The kids won't understand this, but back in the day, right, you had no idea who the Beastie Boys were because they're talking about, I got a castle in Brooklyn. I'm doing peace, all these kind of stuff. All you saw them was like you saw an interview with them on on MTV, and maybe they were then like you if know, you were like, around when it was on. Yeah, when you're around with it on. I'm in Portland. They're in New York. You know, maybe you get like Thrasher magazine, and they got like a little article about the Beastie Boys. And it was so fun to read that yeah. shit. <laughs> but other than the tape, yeah, you know, or if someone had the album or something, you didn't know who these people were. So it was like there was this mystery surrounding these artists that you don't have today. You know exactly who they are. Yeah, no, there that puts so much more pressure on. I mean, good kind of pressure on the art to be like on the work to be the expression. Yeah. And instead of just on who they are as a person and how they live their life and like what they wear to go Starbucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, and, and that's true. It, it's, it's, it's become, the music industry has become entertainment. It's more identity shit though. It's identity politics. A lot of it is yeah. just, everyone wants to watch a soap opera. They've wanted every, politics has turned into soap operas. Music in, industry has turned into soap operas. It's all fucking entertainment. Yeah. Everybody's slinging clips. And it's great if that entertains you. It entertains most people for seven to 15 seconds. Yeah. I have I have never since I was, I, I grew up a skater punk in poor. I, I, I skateboarded, I played music, you know, I, I smoked dope. I did all this. Shit. You must love the Huberman Lab podcast. I, I've only listened to a couple that Michelle sent to That's me. That's all the I, stuff that he did. I, I got to listen to him more. And he's like, yeah. he's into like stoicism and all that shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure of it. He talks very much like that, but- it's a great, it's a great show. I love it. I gotta listen to more it's of it. Better than this one. If but, you're listening to this right now, go listen to his because it's better. I, I, I think we've done okay. I think no, this has okay. been great. Thank you very much. We're three hours and fifteen minutes in. Awesome. Dude, this has been fun. This has it been has. fun. But uh, yeah, you know, it's just uh, I, I never liked pop culture. I never, I never understood. It never felt real to me, and that's why I like someone like even though Beastie Boys were pop culture, still felt real. That's the best kind. That's, I love pop culture for that very reason. Be yeah. And and that's the thing as BC Boys are pop culture. They yeah. were one of the they had number one hits. Yeah. I I think that you do love pop culture if you love the Beastie Boys. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe and, the, and yeah. that's or maybe the kind I'm just stuck in an era. You. I'm stuck in an era of pop culture. You don't like now's pop culture because like you're old. Yeah, I am old, man. I don't. <laughs> when I first realized I was old, it was shocking to me. Oh man, it gets more shocking. I'm listening to the same exact playlist that I was listening to ten years ago without even realizing it at all. I was like, I'm listening to Drake and Lil Wayne. These are new, yeah. fresh artists. Um, yeah, it's it's very. It's not like I'm listening to Journey, which sometimes I do. And um, then I realized, no, dude. The Shins are not a fresh artist, <laughs> right? Uh, like, <laughs> I did I say, I was like, this is a great, it's like, dude, listen, it's like, oh yeah, this one's new stuff. It's like, Michelle's like, that came out when we met 16 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, time just flies. It does. And, it and does. really, like we said before, change is tough musically and in, in either way you can think of. Yeah. It's just, you got to embrace it. You just got to be open to it. You just, you know, bring it on and I'm going to roll with the punches. And yeah. I love that that process of of new musical discovery when it when it is kind of gritty at the beginning. Yeah. Kendrick Lamar is a great example. Yeah, uh, I everybody was freaking out about this guy, and I'm just like, man. Okay. When I heard, I tell you, when I heard Mad City, I, I I really thought that that was 
probably one of the most original, one of the most fresh, one of the most like raw, accurate, what it was like in the 90s. You know, we didn't know we were in Portland, but watching the LA scene, watching NWA and watching, you know, watching the riots. After- he watched them shoot a Tupac video on his street from Compton wow. when he was a little kid. But like, you know, watching like the Rodney King riots and those kind of things and watching what was going on down there. And then hearing Kendrick Lamar with Mad City and the way he takes it through the three stages, him as a kid, him as a teenager, him as a young adult or the gangbanger going through this. It's like- I was blown away. You know, it's a masterpiece. It, it was all of his albums are like that. Stunning. So the first exposure I had to Kendrick Lamar was I heard "Bitch Don't Kill My Vibe" at a party. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was like, "This is very catchy." I've never heard anything like this at all. He's in a very high is vocal that the, range. Yeah, bitch. It's no that one's that's uh, I don't remember what that one's called. It's like I am a sinner. Oh yeah, probably yeah, yeah. going to sin again. Lord forgive me. Things gotcha. I can understand. It's it's a really very catchy little hook but um yeah it was just different than I, I ever heard before and so i checked him out but it was so different that it was weird to me and everyone was freaking out about it enough to where i was like all right i'm gonna get so i'll listen to things like for a, a day yeah that is not a lot to me actually but i mean all day just like listen to it over yeah i do the same thing i get stuck on a song and i just i want to take it apart and that, i want to in envelop it in my brain so are you familiar with mad city the song yeah the one that the part that gets me on that is the the middle section where it's got like you know the guys coming in get your punk ass up we're going out on the street and this kind of stuff you know and it's got that groove that's exactly like nwa and you expect the straight out of Compton, crazy mother. You know, that kind of, you expect it to come into that and then it comes in with it straight out of school because I was a high school grad. And it's just, it's this- Different. It's to- and I heard that and I was like, God damn. Yeah. That's it's incredible. It's so confident. It's yeah. so confident when it's something so different than you're expecting, right. but it's also so- yeah, You're expecting Ice like, Cube to start yelling at you. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a totally different flow, totally different yeah. range and just like, and a different vibe completely. It's emotional. And I mean, not that NWA wasn't emotional, very emotional, but theirs was like aggressive emotional. Oh, yeah. His is like contemplative emotional. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, I like he it is a lot. A, I tell you, he is a smart, smart guy. Very, very deep, yeah. deep. Yeah, I really dug him. I really dug him. Damn is uh, probably my favorite. Uh, to Pimp a Butterfly is the first one I really got into, but Damn, the album is fucking amazing. I'll have to check it out because I've only heard those couple things. I just need to put it on. That's and... an, it was completely different than the other ones it, yeah. to me when I first. Damn's heard it the up. album. Yeah, right. it's uh, it's really good. It's it came out I think in 2016. Nice. Um, which is I've been listening to it since then. I you know I I, I hate to say it, but I only I only know about Kendrick Lamar because of the Super Bowl halftime show. I didn't even know he did one. He did it. He did this one that they just did where they had Dre and Snoop Dogg and 50 Cent and all this. And he, oh, this and most Eminem, recent Super Bowl. Most recent one. With Rihanna? Nah, the one before that. Okay. The year before where they had Mary J. Blige and Eminem. And I love Mary J. Blige. 50 Cent and all that. And, and it was, and Kendrick Lamar came out at the end. Oh, I did see that yeah. actually. And I was listening. I was like, dude, this guy's good. I mean, this is this is impressive because I, I didn't, I don't, I don't love the mumble rap. Mm-hmm. He's not a mumble rapper. No, he's not. And but I'd got. Oh my like, god, take it back! I, no, I'm not saying he's a mumble rapper. I said I didn't yeah. like the, no, I the know, genre. I and but I a lot of the newer hip hop I'd heard had been that kind of mumble rap sort of. That's thing. That's a bunch of triplets, like 
in music, like uh, the da 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 da. Well, they they drop the beat a lot. You know, they they change the beat up and they're going and and that kind of thing. Although I do like that. I do like that one that Drake did with DJ Khalif that Bieber did the video for. I don't know which one is that. Pop star. Oh, I love that song. Have you seen the video? I don't think I have. Oh, dude, watch the video because the video is hilarious because it's during COVID. It's like. Khalif's calling Drake saying, we got to make this video. We got to make this video. We made a video. It's like, well, I can't make it. And so the video is he talks Bieber into doing the video for him. So the Bieber, the video is Bieber like lip syncing the video. <laughs> well, Drake's singing it, but he's like doing the video, like going down the mansion and stuff. And like his producers and the directors yelling at him. And so it's, it's hilarious. That it's sounds a, funny. It's a great video. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like um, Justin Bieber and Drake both. I don't. I don't listen to Justin Bieber all that much, but I respect his uh, career because people are so against him that yeah. it must just feel like an overwhelming energetic force just blasting him in the face every day. Yeah. Well, and and, and he just he, he takes it. Yeah, and he didn't do. I mean, he's done a few things that are shitty, but he didn't do anything to deserve it in the way like Kanye West did. No, I mean, he, no, he didn't. And 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 Bieber's always reminded me kind of like Justin Timberlake. Yeah, he was growing up with a camera and a microphone in his face. But yeah. he, he was growing up and going through the hardships and all that kind of stuff. But they got through it pretty well. Really well. We shouldn't even really traumatize kids like that. No. It's not really not that no, nice. No, it's not. You know, they, these are kids that have talent and they're, you know, they're in the spotlight. But Almost none of them get out of that without being totally mm-hmm. fucked up. Yeah, they're still kids. Yeah. There's still kids who's, you know, we're talking about the mind, the frontal cortex hasn't developed. Yeah. And they have oh. adults with bad intentions yeah. telling them what to do. Yeah, it's a have bad you heard scene. some of the stories like people, kid child stars tell? Well, you know, like Corey Feldman. Feldman, Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Horrible. Awful. Awful. Like exploitive. You know, the, you're Ep- you know, Epstein. Those guys. Just... Macaulay Culkin, the, I'm going to tell this quick one because it's horrible and you just said Epstein. Yeah. But uh, Macaulay Culkin, the reason he wanted to get out of Hollywood is because when he was shooting Home Alone 2, he got pulled off the set into a, a room, a back in a back room in an office, and somebody blocked the door. And they, uh, the guy in there was a high-ranking official of one of these production companies, and he like was real creepy with Macaulay Culkin and kept telling him how handsome he was and like, you know, making... Yeah. When you're a handsome young boy, you know when an adult man wants to bang you. It's a vibe that you don't oh, mistake. Man. And oh. uh, Macaulay Culkin recognized it with this creep. And the guy ended up telling him that uh, he like point kept mentioning his shoes. He's wearing red shoes. And then uh, he ended up insinuating that the little girl from Poltergeist who had gone missing was maybe involved in the making of those shoes. And Macaulay Culkin puked on the shoes and ran out of the room. My God. He said this on a radio show. That's crazy. He was like 12 years old. Yeah. And the, the, yeah, there's a lot of really evil people in the world. Oh, they're, they're absolutely, you know, and, and they're, they're people that, you know, they get used to getting their way and they get used to thinking that money and prestige, you know, makes them yeah. know, something that they're not. They just, you know, they, they lose their humanity. They don't even think of other people people like people no, and then that's where we're talking about Kant they become a means rather than an end yeah it's the same thing that happens in war just mm-hmm. on a whole nother level yeah where you just like you're in it for you at that time in that moment you it's you against them it devalues other people mm-hmm. Let, treat them like a commodity yeah. yeah it's really sad but we can't end on that note now let's talk about something fun. What's it? What's Sorry, it? I said that thing about the shoes. No, it's okay, but you know, it, I shouldn't have said it. it, it. it I regretted t- it before I even <laughs> finished. 
Uh, what's a good one? That stuff gets to me, man. I'm sorry. No, no, and I, you know, and that's and that's a, uh, you know, and 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 here's the thing: is it needs to get to more people. Yeah, that's the reason I talk about it because it's so uncomfortable for me. And it, yeah. but I'm just like, is anyone else seeing this? It, it's it's it it is horrific. The, the, yeah. the, and, and it's unfortunate that these kids make so much money for their handlers because mm -hmm. it, 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 it encourages this type of behavior. Oh, man. That, and that's a whole other problem on the internet, on YouTube. People running their kids' social accounts. It's re really I can't even gross. Imagine, man. Really, really gross. Uh, it's a whole industry. If, if you're a, kind of a Karen who cares about that stuff and you want to go do some, writing some letters to congressmen, look into parents who are having private accounts for their fucking kids uh because that seems problematic to me is this kind of like a is this sort of like a like a worse version of like the dad who's trying to get his kid to be the football star kind of thing they're trying yeah to make except him be it's like, like mom and dads who who have their daughters on youtube channel or or a a, a private patreon account and no they make adult men pay Man. them for pictures of their kids in bikinis well, here's the thing. No one's above an ass whooping. Someone needs to go deal with those people. It's a lot of people. That's... I got an email from Patreon that said, hey, guys, we're sorry about the child porn thing. And I was like, what? The child Come again? porn thing? Yeah. And they're like, oh, you know, we heard you heard that we've known about some child porn for a while now. And it is true. But what you don't understand is that we really love money and they are paying us money. <laughs> and... um. <laughs> Yeah, so fuck I'm guessing Patreon. this is reading th between the lines a little bit. I mean, this is the gist of what they said. Sure, sure. Uh, I shouldn't mention that. I am paraphrasing. I am paraphrasing. But yeah, you know. But and, that's what happened. People well, were running a, a child, a, a CP, as we say on TikTok, um, network on Patreon because it's paywall. And yeah, it's, I'm the, yeah, I'm not, I'm not on, uh, I'm not on TikTok. I only remember like the 4chan. It's always like the pedo. Yeah, tick pedo yeah. bear and those kind of things. Pedo's too obvious. Yeah, that's what I figured. It was it's it's too direct. Yeah, the Chinese are are smarter than that. Yeah. <laughs> they know exactly what to look for. That TikTok is a is a beautiful place because they're they're um the protective filters on there are actually kind of nice. Yeah. It makes it a really kind of a positive environment. Uh, really? Where, yeah, where you I mean, I assume it can get dark maybe if you're a dark person because it's really good at reading your mind. Make just giving you what is it's like a mirror. Yeah. Um, so I see some really delightful things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Anyway, thank you so much for coming, man, and spending three and a half hours bullshitting with me. This has been so much fun for me. It's been a blast. This has been a blast. I, I enjoy conversations, and the opportunities to have them are sort of few and far between sometimes. Uh, so thank you. That's Absolutely. why Ramble by the River exists. Yeah. Thanks you for having me. And uh, yeah, it was a blast. Thank you for coming. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Ramble by the River. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating or a review. It really helps us to get the show out there, and I'd really appreciate it. Come on back next week for another episode. Thanks again. Talk to you next time. Bye.